And we are on air tonight for Fan for Racing's radio next episode. And tonight it's Watkins Glen NASCAR Race Review with Hot Topic Sound Off starting at 10 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, Sal Sagala, our co-host, will be joining us shortly. And uh, while we wait for him, I'll go over our agenda for tonight. All right, in the first half hour, we're going to review, well, first we'll give a few updates uh, from the Arkham Menard Series East and West, who did not race this past weekend, and then we'll review the Arkham Menard Series at Watkins Glen. At 9 o'clock, we'll start our NASCAR Truck Series review, move into the uh, Xfinity Series review, and then the um, Cup Series review, in the next hour. At 10 o'clock, we start our Hot Topic Sound Off with our Fan for Racing crew. So that is our agenda for tonight. And joining me now is our co-host, Sal Segala. Welcome to the show, Sal. Oh, thank you, Sharon. Good evening. All right. So uh, we're going to get into a few updates here real quick on the Arkham Menard series. Uh, the two series that did not race this past weekend were the East and the West, and I want to just let everybody know when those next races will take place. For the West, uh, their next race is August the 21st at 7 p.m. Pacific time, which will be 10 p.m. Eastern time. It's the Irwindale 150 at Irwindale Speedway. You'll be able to listen to the radio at arcaracing.com, or if you're an NBC Gold Track Pass member, you can listen to the live streaming there. Uh, then the Arca East, they'll be racing the Sprecher 150 at the Milwaukee Mile on August the 29th. That race is 2 p.m. Central, 3 p.m. Eastern, and it will be available for uh, watching at MAV-TV Motorsports Network. So, uh, again, it's also available at ARCAracing.com as uh, well as uh, the delayed broadcast on NBC Sports Network, and that's true for both the East and the West. Uh, so, Sal, we've got to wait a little while for those races. Yeah, once again, we're in a holding pattern, kind of like the weather. You know, they kind of put that little holding pattern out there, and you're kind of waiting for it to either for it to strike and they are back at it again. But um, I'm sure the drivers are itchy to get back behind the wheel. I'll tell you what, out there in the Arco West, after four races, these guys have a really tight battle going on. Jesse Love and Cole Moore are now just two points apart from one another in first and second. And then Cole Moore, or I'm sorry, Todd Souza, who was in first, is now in third. He's just four points back. Then it's Dean Thompson, nine points back, along with Jake True, who is also nine points back. That's pretty close. Yeah, actually, Tatsusa didn't run the last race. He was uh, he was ill, and um, gosh, I'm trying to think who sat in. Somebody else sat in for him, and I know who exactly who it was, and I can't think offhand. But um, oh, yeah, he okay. sat out the last week. He, he was finished. sick. Yeah. Uh, I'm pretty sure they had a finish for him in the race. Oh yeah, no. oh, From... no. oh no, they had a finish for him at Colorado. He finished. Um, he finished. Uh, 
seventh. But okay. he, he didn't he didn't he wasn't the one that drove the car. He was another driver that drove it. He was sick that morning. So uh, gotcha. rather than take a chance, they went ahead and put um gosh. I can't think of life of the people it was. Well, maybe maybe you will think of it as I go through the next group of drivers here. There are actually 11 drivers that have raced all four of the races, uh, and so I'm going to go through all 11 drivers. The next uh, group is Joy East in sixth place, Paul Pedrincelli Jr. in seventh place, Trevor Huddleston uh, is eighth, then it's Bridget Burgess in ninth, and Tommy Hillis Jr. rounds out the top ten, Takuma Koga is the driver in the 11th place. So those 11 drivers have raced all is all four races, and uh, Takuma, who's 11th, is 43 points back. So uh, again, it's very tight in the top ten, top five drivers. So I can't wait for the next race to come along to see how this continues to play out. Yeah, it's gonna. Be excited when they do come back to Irondale for the 150 lap race. Um, yes, it's going to be exciting. Yeah. Okay, now moving over to the ARCA East. Uh, Sammy Smith continues to hold the lead after six races in. Uh, 19 points back is Nathan Diaz. Daniel Dye is 26 points back. Max Gutierrez 30 points back, and Joy East uh, from the West. Uh, is 35 points back. That rounds out your top five there. So uh, a little bit more of a point spread here in the East. Yeah, they got a um, lot. Yeah. They're uh, also, I think, down one or two more races than uh, what the West has. And then you, like you said, Jared, you know, you got some of the West guys that are going over to the, uh, that are going to the East to race too. Yes, indeed. Now, only six drivers have raced all six races. So, Raja Karut right now is in sixth place, uh, and he is 37 points back. Uh, the remaining drivers have raced a part-time schedule in the East. Parker Retzklaff with uh, five races in is seventh. Then it's Taylor Gray, only three races. He's eighth. Stephanie Moyer with four races is ninth, and Dick Doheny with four races is tenth. So uh, a little bit different situation here in the East this season. Yeah, I'm trying to find where the... Hmm. Where the point standings are. I have, I have a different point standings. It's crazy. Okay, well, that's why I went ahead and did it. I, I just wanted to get that yeah. in uh, before we move on to our review uh, because the Arkham and Art Series actually did race this weekend out at Watkins Glen International, and uh, their next race, just let's get that out of the way now, their next race is actually uh, going to be a little bit sooner, I think, than some of the other ones. Um, their next race is August the 20th at 6 p.m. Eastern at Michigan International Speedway. The Henry Ford Health System 200 will be 6 p.m. Eastern again on MAV-TV. And again, you'll be able to follow along as well 
at ArcaRacing.com. So uh, definitely looking forward to that race uh, coming up here in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, and then they get to a little bigger track now from the road course, and now they're going to a two-mile a two-mile track over in uh, Michigan. Yes, indeed. Okay, so let's go ahead and move on to the um, the Arkham and Art Series race that was held at Watkins Glen this weekend. Uh, Corey Heim actually is winning, won that race, uh, and Ty Gibbs uh, is uh, still in first place, but Corey Heim is closing up that gap. Yeah, he, it was a it was a pretty it was a pretty good contested race there. It went you know back and forth between the top three drivers, Corey Heim, Austin Hill, and Ty Gibbs. I think are the three that actually shared you know most of the lead throughout the day. Yeah, Corey Heim. At Corey Hunt's worst run this season uh, so far before this race uh, came in June when he finished seventh at Mid-Ohio Sports Car Course, uh, another road course, uh, and that was the last time that they competed on the road course. This past weekend, they were at another road course, Watkins Glen International, uh, and he pretty much coasted to victory in the Clean Harbors 100 at the Glen. It's the second and final road course uh, race of the season here for the Arkham Menard Series. Yeah, it was a it was a good it was a good race for Corey Hyman. I think him and Ty started on the pole, and then uh, yeah, they were on Corey the front kinda, row. Yeah, they're in the front row, and everyone's kind of thinking that something was going to happen the first few laps in, especially being a road course. But you know, they kept you know, stayed professional about it, you know, and, and uh, at least they got this race in without, without any, uh, you know, without much controversy. So for Heim, it was his fifth Arkham Art Series race uh, of the year, his win of the year, and his sixth overall dating back to last season. Uh, and as I mentioned earlier, he closed the gap in the points leader, to the points leader, Ty Gibbs, uh, now, there's just two points separating those two top drivers after 13 races. So, uh, Chase Briscoe looked like he had it pretty much in hand uh, until about lap 23. Uh, he took, uh, took the lead from Gibbs eight laps before, and uh, what appeared to be a dominant car, he ended up having to pit because of a suspension issue. So that, I'm sure, was a huge disappointment for Chase Briscoe. He won the road course race at Sonoma uh, not that long ago. Yeah, it was, a, it, was a, it was a dominating effort. And, you know, it was, like I said, you know, it was a, it was a good race. You know, you know I see the, uh, you know, the road courses, you know, coming to play the way they have, you know, and especially with the, with the, um, Added drivers, you know, that came out to race. You know, a lot of, yes. a lot of, uh, but they have a field of like twenty nine drivers out there on that road course. It's pretty, it was pretty crowded out there for a while. It was indeed. You had some, uh, you know, uh, I consider Chase Bristow to be an ARCA Racing Series, um, uh, ARCA Menard Series ace. 
Uh, he is one of the past champions from the ARCA Menard Series. Uh, and you had some other drivers like Austin Hill, uh, uh, Carson Hosevar, Brandon Jones, Rory Erbs, uh, Austin Wayne Self, uh, quite a few of the guys from NASCAR's top three uh, that finished in that top ten. I'm going to go over the uh, race finishes here uh, for this particular race. Of course, we know that Corey Heim was first. Austin Hill came in second. Then it was Ty Gibbs finishing in third place. Carson Hosevar and Brandon Jones round out the top five. So uh, out of those five drivers, uh, you had three of them that were from one of NASCAR's top three series. Yeah, it was, uh, it, like I said, it was, it was a pretty, pretty big steal, you know, for, you know, and, you know, and actually, you know, from, I was surprised at more, um, that uh, more cup drivers did come out, you know, to try and get that experience, especially, you know, since they raced there, you know, on, um, on Sunday. Mm-hmm. That's true. Uh, rounding out the top ten, we have Riley Erbst in sixth, Taylor Gray finished seventh, Nick Sanchez in eighth, Austin Wayne South from the Truck Series in ninth, and John Wood rounds out the top ten. There we go. Yeah, do you want to cover the point standing? Yeah, um, I just—it's funny. I, you know, I was just looking at it. I was just reading it right now, and then, um, okay, so then the uh, Arkham Art Series standings for 2021 after Watkins Glen is uh, we got Ty Gibbs in first, Corey Hyman second, Dab Moffitt third, Nick Sanchez fourth, and Brad Smith round off the top five. Uh, I think Corey Heim wasn't had the did he have the lead for a while before Ty Gibbs took it over? I because I, I know right now there's only two points separating the top two, just separating Ty yeah, Gibbs and Corey Heim. Yeah, oh yeah, it's very yeah. tight. That and and actually it's going to be one of those two because there's no way that Moff, there's no way from third on down is going to be Corey Right, right because. It's really a two-man race here. Exactly, and, and, and it is a two-man race. And then, uh, and then from there, then we go six to Drew Dollar, seven to Kyle Sieg, eighth Di Wilson, ninth is Tyler Gray, and tenth is Tim Richmond. Well, Taylor Gray missed uh, he missed um, seven races because of uh, because of an injury, and for him to you know you know pick up in that ninth spot with only six wins, you know is. Uh, you know, there's a good solid, you know, solid finishes to get back from the accident. Right. Again, in the Arkham Art Series, only four drivers have completed all 13 races. And actually, if you go back to third place, as you mentioned, that Moffat is 97 points out. So it's pretty much a two-man race. Uh, the difference between Ty Gibbs has an average start of 2.2 and an average finish of 3.8. And it's interesting because Corey Heim is, is almost the opposite. He has an average start of 3.8, but an average finish of 2.4. So uh, he, Gibbs has more wins. He has seven on the season to Corey Heim's five. So that's pretty much where the biggest difference is between those two drivers. 
Yes, exactly. And then um, also Corey Heim has 13 top tens, and he's that. And actually, he's the lap leader for the series, also leading the most laps at 1676. And Ty Gibbs is right there looking at, at 1661, only um, wow, 15 laps behind him as far as laps led. And I think right. they get points. Don't they get points for being the lap leader of the race, or it's not like NASCAR they give those points, right? Yeah, I think they, they get if, if they the have the most something. laps of the race. Yeah. Yeah. But, it was but also it's, a, it's going to be a good... Go ahead, Sharon. It, I was going to say it was also... Uh, one of the Sioux Chief Showdown races. So we'll need to cover the points for the uh, Sioux Chief Showdown, too, Sal. Do you want me to do that? Oh, that's right, yeah. Yeah, I forgot it was a Sioux Chief. Sioux Chief. Sioux Chief Showdown. So let's um, check out the points in the Sioux Chief okay. Showdown after like, the car was at the Glen. we got the point standings sitting. Trouble, please. Here we go. <laughs> I get. Oh, those were the. Those. I'm sorry, Sharon. I did read this. I did read the points for the suit chief. Are Showdown. you sure? Yeah, because I'm looking at it now, and it's got Ty Gibbs, Corey Heim, and Nick Stench. I I clicked on suit chief. Okay. Well then. Suit chief showdown. Um, well, you said it was only two points. The Sioux Chief Showdown has a little bit broader uh, difference. It's ten points yeah. between Ty Gibbs and Corey Heim in the Sioux Chief Showdown. Oh. It's funny. I clicked on Sioux Chief, and then I went to the Sioux Chief Showdown, and then I went to points in. Okay. Okay, but, got the uh, results. Okay, let me let me go the, ahead and let me yeah, go ahead and do it here because the Sioux Chief Showdown yeah, is more of an Excel yeah, spreadsheet. Okay. Okay. Uh, the leader is Ty Gibbs. He has 254 points compared to Corey Himes' 244. So there's a 10 point spread there. Uh, Ty Gibbs has the four wins. Corey Heim has one win when it comes to those. Uh, but they both have six top ten finishes uh, for the the for the uh, six races, and there's a total of ten races in this particular uh, series. Bad Moffat is in third at 225. He's actually tied with Nick Sanchez in fourth at 225 points, and Brad Smith is fifth at 174 points. Those five drivers are the only drivers that have finished all six of the uh, Suchi Showdown events. So uh, I'll go ahead and cover the next five, but they have more part-time schedules here. You've got Taylor Gray in sixth, Jesse Love in seventh, Daniel Dye in eighth, Owen Smith is ninth, and Tony Costantino is in tenth place. Uh, and none of those have raced all six of the races. So, really, the drivers that we're watching here are those top five. Yeah, you know what else, Sharon? You know what else I found? I, I, I finally found it. But, um, you know what I find interesting okay. is that out of the top ten, 
eight of the drivers are mm-hmm. rookies. Only two of them are are not, are, are not rookie yeah, status. That that's amazing, and, and isn't I, it? Yeah, that's a good observation. Yeah, and actually, yeah, actually, it's Brad Smith is the fifth, and Owen Smith, who's in um, ninth, are the only two veterans in the field. And other than that, um, they're blanketed by all the rookies, which means <laughs> this is their first year racing in the series. So, um, yep, there's a. There's a whole lot of rookies when you when you look up and down the field. There's a whole lot of rookies in the that are racing exactly. in, the, in the showdown. Yeah, exactly. Wow, that's awesome. You know that. that you know what? Awesome. You just on, you know, just on a quick note, that's great for you know for looking you know at, at you know NASCAR you know as a whole you know on you know drivers are going to be coming up you know to see this many rookies you know instead of more veterans because you know more drivers are coming in you know, from your local tracks, you know, they're going to be giving the ARCA series a shot, you know, trying to maybe get a truck a truck rider maybe to continue racing in the ARCA series itself. So it's a really yeah. good sign for, for racing and, all, and you know, and looking at the big picture. Yes. And you kind of talked about this a little bit earlier, uh, Sal, but I'm going to kind of expound on this a little bit. Uh, the Clean Harbors 100 at the Glen was almost completely clean. A lot of people coming into this race thought that there was going to be some battling going on between Corey Heim and Ty Gibbs because they've been kind of rivals over the last several races, and they've kind of uh, been bumping and banging at the finish line <laughs> uh, to get the, you know, at the finish of the races in order to get the, the top spot. But that didn't happen. At Watkins Glen, uh, there was only one caution, uh, and it, it was a yellow flag displayed after uh, Dale Quarterly spun into the wall after contact with Drew Dollar, and that was on lap 17. So it was it was a very clean race, and a lot of what everybody anticipated uh, actually didn't come to pass at Watkins Glen. Do you think it was because it was a road course? You know, it, you you it's probably because it was a road course, and I and I think the drivers are since it's getting close to the end of the season, they're looking at the bigger picture, which is the championship. You know what? At the beginning of the season, you could probably get by with it a little bit more, but I, you know what? It's hard to say, but I'm thinking that a lot of these drivers might have been sat down and you know and told, hey, you know what? You guys need to, uh, you know, <laughs> you know, don't Tone lose the down. championship. You know, be, be you know, yeah, tone it down because you don't want to lose a championship, you know, because you're, you know, you're more worried about, you know, you know, getting, you know, getting back at another driver. Yeah, if the opportunity, you know, is there, you know, and you can do it without, but you got to remember, with, they're all rookies, so they don't know how to hit a car without exactly. possibly spinning themselves out, you know, store the veterans, That's- you know, they know exactly, exactly where to, where to hit a driver, you know, and exactly how to do it to where they're not going to mess themselves up. But I, I think mm-hmm. in the season now, and, and I think they're looking at, I think Corey Hyman and Ty Gibbs are looking at, you know, I want the championship, you know, and, and enough of the, you know, we're going to have, the rivalry's going to be there. It's always going to be there. Mm-hmm. It's not going to go away. But you know what? I'd rather make the rivalry, you know, on, I'd rather win the championship and then that, that would really upset, you know, one or the other. Right. Because, you know, I've been saying this all along. You know, if these guys continue to battle, they're going to end up taking each other out, and it's going to open the door for somebody else 
to kind of close the points gap that is huge right now, uh, and they don't want that to happen. They're they're just past they're pat they're 13 races in, so there's still seven more races before their season ends, and they don't want to mess this up by closing up that gap. Exactly, and and you know. And, and then, you know what, and it, it probably comes down to, you know, they want to be professionals. You know, they want to be treated as a professional mm-hmm. race car driver, you know, not as some hack kid, you know, that's coming out. Because Ty Gibbs, he's, he's, he's getting a bad name for himself. He's not, he's not one of the most popular drivers out there right now. I mean, there's a lot of, mm-hmm. there's a lot of talk about, you know, you know, him, you know, being the, you know, the silver spoon kid, you know, just like when uh, Austin Dillon came up, you know, he was a silver spoon right. kid, you know, to grab a, Richard, you know, and and you and know, I've always said I, this, Sal. I've always said this. Anybody can go out there and knock the other guy out of competition to win a race. Anybody can do that, but it takes skill and expertise to be able to go out there and race for the win and do it cleanly. So exactly. you're absolutely right. You know what, and and, and that's why. You know, a lot of people, you know, they respect, you know, Derek Thorne, you know, as a driver, you know, it's because, you know, he can go out mm-hmm. there and he can do that. Sure, he has his moments. I mean, you know, he's, you know, he's not the the most cleanest driver out there, you know, but I mean, when he when he passes you, you know what, he's going to, you know, he's not going to do it, you know, try and knock you into the wall like a lot of these other drivers. You know, mm-hmm. you know, well, to but, me, that like is an said, indication of, of a lack of confidence and a lack of skill when a driver has to win a race in that manner. And and I know Ty Gibbs is so much more talented than that. So I really hope he does kind of stop doing that. Same thing with Corey Heim. They're both talented drivers, but they've got to stop doing that if they really want to showcase their skills and their talents. You know, and I think it falls a little bit more on, on Ty Gibbs because, you know, because of who his, who his grandpa is. So I think on, mm-hmm. on that end, I think it falls, it falls a little bit more on him than Corey Hines because, you know, everybody knows that Ty has the best equipment out there. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's it doesn't take a rocket scientist to to tell him that or for him to see that, for him to know that. So, you know, I, mm-hmm. I think a little, I think it's a little bit more weight on his shoulders than on Corey Hines. But um, you know but what? You know they're what give, they're giving the fans, you, yeah, they're giving the fans a good he, show. They are. They're giving a great show. It is good to see Venturini Motorsports right up there with Joe Gibbs Racing and competing with a team like Joe Gibbs Racing in this Arkham Menard Series. So I give kudos to Venturini Motorsports as well. Oh, yeah. They're, oh, yeah. They're doing a heck of a job. I mean, to, to compete with, a, you know, a superpower like that, you know, you know mm-hmm. especially, you know, when you go across the board, you know, you see – you know how you know how the Gibbs drivers you know have fared in the past. You know, and um, mm-hmm. you know, we'll see Corey Hyde. I mean, he's always been a good driver. I mean, he's in his super late. I mean, he's really good in a super late. So, yep. you know, coming into you know the uh, an Arca car, you know that, that doesn't that doesn't carry the same horsepower or the same handling techniques as a um, as a uh, you know as as a super late compared to a. Uh, you know, to an ARCA car, you know what, it, it just shows his talent. I'd like to see Ty Gibbs race a little bit more super late model races, you know, and see, you know, what he really has, you know, as see far what as he you does. Know, what he's bringing to the table. 
Yeah, what he's bringing to the table, yeah, you know, Xfinity, you know, across the board. Right. He brings a lot. Now, I just want to remind fans. Uh, I just want to remind fans, though, Sal, real quick before we get to the top of the hour here. Uh, the 100-lap event at the two-mile paved oval. Um, well, wait a second. Okay, the Arkham and Art Series will broadcast live on Mass TV. Okay, I I think you'll be able to see this race on the NBC network as part of a delayed broadcast. So you'll you'll need to check your local NS, NBC Sports Network schedule uh, in order to see when that happens. It's typically on Thursday night, so check your Thursday night schedule. Uh, for the time of that delayed broadcast. Also, after the week off, as we mentioned earlier, they're going to be racing Friday, August the 20th at Michigan International Speedway. That will be the 14th of 20 races for the Arkham Art Series, and it is going to broadcast live on MAV-TV Motorsports Network at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. It will also be available live streamed on NBC Sports Gold TrackCast. So uh, definitely uh, stay tuned for that. It's now at the top of the hour, so we're going to move on to the truck series. And uh, I'll tell you what, we had an exciting race in the truck series, too. Uh, Although it was range-shortened, Austin Hill was the race winner uh, for the Saturday night's United Rentals 176 at the famed Watkins Glen International Road Course after lightning uh, in the immediate area forced the field to stop on pit road just 11 laps short of the scheduled race finish. Hill had taken a 1.023 second lead over John Hunter Nemechek before the trucks headed to pit road where they waited under red flag conditions for almost an hour before the race was officially called. So... um, he won the race Saturday after Lightning called the race short on lap 61 of the scheduled 72-lap race. Uh, the win is the second win of the season for Austin Hill, the first at Watkins Glen, and his eighth career win. Hill started from the pole, and he also won stage two. The regular season champion, John Hunter Nemechek in the number four, finished second. Uh, Sheldon Creed was third followed by Todd Gilliland, who won stage one, Parker Kligerman, Zane Smith, Tyler Ankrum, Paul Menard, Sam Mayer, and Carson Hosebar round out the top ten. And you'll notice that uh, some of these guys were doing double duty uh, between the Arkham Menard series and the truck series. There were seven lead changes among six drivers and five cautions for ten yellow flag laps. The average speed of the race was 87.298 miles per hour. Uh, Watkins Glen put an end to the regular season and locked in the playoff drivers moving on to round 10. The round of 10, which begins in the next series event at the Worldwide Technology Raceway at Gateway. Chandler Smith was disqualified following a post-race inspection for failing heights and it did not alter his eligibility into the playoff field. So um, so let's uh, 
see if I can give you the drivers that did make it. Okay, John Hunter Nemechek is the top seed in the Camping World Truck Series playoffs, followed by Austin Hill, Ben Rhodes, Todd Gilliland, Sheldon Creed, Zane Smith, Matt Crafton, Carson Hosefar, Stuart Friesen, and Chandler Smith. So uh, those are the drivers that will be in the playoffs, and um, we'll take it from there. The highest finishing rookie of the race was Carson Osovar, who finished in 10th place. So what are your thoughts there about the race results? Yeah, you know, sure. The 10-driver field. Yeah, I, I think the reason they stay um, – I think the reason they um, they had to call the race was because of uh, – you know, they had the Xfinity race coming in, and I don't think they're going to have enough daylight, you know, to finish, to get both races. Because remember, they raced Xfinity right after the trucks. You know, yeah, they, but you know, they were the pretty close to the end of the race anyway. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, no, yeah, I'm not saying they were close to the end. I, but but uh, I think instead of just waiting it out another, you know, however long it was, they probably figure, you know, by the time we do, um, you know, the driver, you know, the – victory lane and all that, you know, and get the drivers into the cars and get them ready. You know what? We're going to be, you know, looking pretty good because, you know, they had already waited, like you said, however long, an hour, hour and a half, you know, for the lightning. And um, and I Mm -hmm. I think they're looking at, you know, we want to make sure because, you know, in these road courses, you don't know how many, how many cautions you're going to have, you know, or how many red flags, especially red flags, you know, because, I mean, we've seen in the past some brutal hits you know, coming through, you know, part of the, part of that track. And, and, um, and then if they catch a little rain, you know, they're still going to race. They're going to have to race in the rain. But other than that, you know, it was a, again, you know what, we, we talked about all season, you know, it's going to take that one driver, you know, it's going to have to, um, uh, you know, win a race, you know, to get in. You know, yeah. we've seen it this week. We've seen it with Austin Hill, you know, and he put himself in a, in a spot, and uh, you know what, he got us, he got himself in, and you know what, and and now he's uh, now he's um, you know, well, a guaranteed spot because I think I think on points he was he was already up there in points, wasn't he? Austin Hill. Well, he already had a race yeah. win. He won two straight races. Oh, that's right. He also that, won that's at right. Was, yeah, that's right. I forgot. This is the second win. Yeah, this was his second win. He won at Knoxville, and then he went on to win here at Watkins Glen. So they had a three-week break between the Knoxville race and then the Watkins Glen race. So, um, you know, so that's that's, uh, a second win for Austin Hill this season. So it's good to see that for Hattori Racing Enterprises. I'm always happy when they have success for some reason oh yeah oh yeah they're they're uh you know not one of the you know one of the two you know highly funded team but you know he's always you know picked up drivers you know here and there you know that have you know you know that have helped you know to make the you know the series what it is you know and most of all you know to um you know possibly drivers and you know and they put their um they put their time in you know it's not like they're just coming in you know and you know, I mean, they, they've, shoot, their, their list of drivers they've had is, is pretty, pretty amazing. It's also going to be fun to watch these playoffs uh, in the 
this year in the in the truck series because Carson Osabar and Chandler Smith are both rookies. So this is the first time they've been in the playoffs, and I can't wait to see how they do um, throughout the uh, playoff season. You know, I I I think I think Chandler I think Chandler will do a lot better than Carson. I don't. I mean, every super late model race that Chandler runs, Carson Hosovar is winning. But Chandler, I think, has a lot more talent when it comes to and a lot more patience when it comes to racing. I've seen Carson Hosovar in, in a super late model racing just be, a, uh, you know, a, a disaster sort of speak, you know, um, you know, uh, a torpedo, you know, it's just, you know, <laughs> it's what it is. I mean, you know, when you, when you run into your opponent to get around them, you know, like you, like you spoke earlier, you know, it's, you know, you would like to see more racing where it takes talent and skill to get around a driver rather than just right. straight up, you know, just, you know, because, you know, because your daddy has, you know, all kinds of money. We're not going to the competition out of the way. Exactly. You know, your daddy has a bunch of money, you know, so if you can go out there and just, you know, wreck the stuff because, you know, your daddy's going to pay for it anyways. But well, Chandler Smith is, and I, I've, I've met the both of them. Chandler Smith is really, really super nice, super nice kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. they're nice kids. Yeah, they are. I mean, all of them are all of them. Now, just, uh, just as an update, too, I want to make sure everybody knows uh, this first round for the truck series includes that race at Gateway. Uh, that's going to take place on August the 20th at 9 p.m. Eastern Time on Fox Sports 1. Uh, and that's going to be the, the Gateway 200. Uh, now, the following two races are going to be at Darlington Raceway on September the 5th. And then Bristol Motor Speedway is going to be the cutoff race on September the 16th. So there's going to be a little bit of a gap here between those three races. Uh, but just kind of keep in mind that those are the three races uh, in the first round for the truck series. It's going to be Gateway, Darlington, and then Bristol is the cutoff race. And, you know, you know what else, Sharon? I mean... Going back to, you know, when they're going to start the the playoffs, John Hunter Emacek is going to come in such, I mean, he's favored, I mean, almost, in, he'll probably be favored almost even money. Yes. You know, I mean, the playoff points, you know he's going to be in the, in the final four. This is his playoff points. Well, plus, you know. You know, John but, Hunter Emacek, had the most points as it was, but he also gets that 15-point bonus for being the regular season champion. So he's yeah. really out there with playoff points now. He's got uh, yeah. uh, quite a few of those points. So uh, that's why he's in first place going in. So you're right. He's, oh, he's, he's the odds-on favorite. Oh, he, he's got like 50 playoff points the next one behind him. Is Austin Hill at the eleven and Ben Rose at the eleven? Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, Amazing, fifty points. I mean, that's why I said he's. I mean, he's he, he's already he's already locked into the final four, basically. Yeah, just. About. I mean, he would have he, just about. I mean, he would really have to go out there and just have DNFs for the for the next nine races. You know, 
before they get to you know, to the last race, he'd have to have DNS in order not to make it. But I mean, it's just exactly. amazing. Exactly. It's amazing season. Uh, there's amazing nobody season even close to him in playoff points. No. So those but 15 I'll, I'll, I'll just really kind of make it gonna, harder for the rest of the have, competition. He's gonna have a huge target on his back. I know that. I mean, shoot, we don't think Matt Crafton, the old crafty veteran, is, you know, and um, you know Austin Hill, you know, shoot, he wants that chat. Bed Rowan wants a championship. Todd Gillen would give his left arm for a championship. You mm-hmm. know, um, they're going to be gunning for him. You know, they're going to, you know, it's going to come down, you know, basically to, you know, what happened to Phoenix. But, um, so you know, who do you, you think is going to be uh, the first ones out after Bristol, considering the tracks I, that we're talking about? Yeah, I I don't know. I'm I'm looking at probably Hosovar is going to be one of them. You know, as much as I hate to say it, I think Hosovar is going to be one of them. Um, Todd is, man, you know what? This is a time when you have to put, you know, you know, who your friends with, who your favorite, you know, favorite drivers coming up. We have to look at the reality. And, you know, you almost have to look at Todd Gillen as being one of them. That's, that's not going to, you know, along with possibly Sheldon Creed. He's not, Sheldon isn't having the season that, he, that he's used to having. You know, Sheldon hasn't been on his game. You know, and, um, you know, and I just said, what, they're going to take Creed. four out, right? Who do you see? Who do you see that's going to uh, uh, maybe step up to the plate and kind of stand out during this first round? You know what? It surprisingly enough, it could be Grant Hensinger. I think. Oh, even though he's out of the playoffs, you're right. Grant Hensinger doesn't have any wins, but he could come up with a win during these playoffs for sure. Oh yeah, yeah. And especially at these tracks. Oh yeah, I just you know what he's. I mean, he's um, you know, you know he's he's one I think that could really that to really step it up. I mean, you know what it doesn't it doesn't necessarily have to be somebody you know that's inside the you know that's inside the playoffs. You know what? Unless you want somebody that's inside the playoffs, then I'll then I'll give you that. Well, I'll tell you, somebody who who really is peaking at the right time, you have to say it's got to be Austin Hill. He won the the last two races at Knoxville and again at Watkins Glen, uh, the two races just before the playoffs began. He's got a lot of momentum that he's taking into the playoffs. So I see him possibly being a standout during the playoffs as well. Exactly. You know what? It's 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 so true. You know, he, you know, he, he, he could be the he could be the spoiler. You know, I, you know, out of out of the ten that are in there, I just don't see. I don't know. I mean, Stuart Friesen, I uh, I I think he's going to be one of them that's going to be watching from the sidelines along with the postal. Yeah, five you know, of, of the drivers have no wins. And then you've got another five drivers that have the wins. John Hunter Nemechek, obviously, with five 
Austin Hill with two, Ben Rhodes with two. Ben's wins came early in the season, though. Austin Hill's wins have come late in the season. Then you've got Todd Gilliland with one win and Sheldon Creed with one hit win. Those are the drivers that are going into the playoffs on wins. The drivers going in on points are Zane Smith, Matt Crafton, Carson Hosefar, Chandler Smith, and Stuart Friesen. So um, those guys will want to try to get a win as early in these rounds as possible. Oh yeah, I mean at least a at least a top two, you know. Yeah. Because you know, once again, when the foul points you know take off, you know, start getting added in there. But um, I don't know. I just I I just I, I don't see Todd making it past the first round either. Todd Gilliland. Okay. Okay. He's, he's too up. He's kind of up and down. You know, he hasn't really we haven't really seen any consistency out of him. You know, and um, but, uh, like you said, Austin Hill is a very, very good pick. Yeah, I think he's got the momentum definitely on his side right now. Uh, it almost now seems like John Hunter Nemechek peaked early and has fallen off these last several races, uh, where Austin Hill, uh, you know, didn't have a win yet until Knoxville. And now he's got two wins after Watkins Glen. So he's peaking at a really good time. Yeah, and now's the time you want to peak too. You don't want to you don't want to peak, you know. Yep. You know. In the middle of the season or at the beginning because it doesn't doesn't do you any good. Okay. I know we're a little bit ahead of schedule, Sal, but let's go ahead and move on to the Xfinity Series because they race this weekend as well. Uh, Their next race coming up is going to be at Indianapolis Motor Speedway uh, this coming weekend. But uh, this past weekend, they raced the Screwball Peanut Butter Whiskey 200. And uh, we're going to take a look at that series next. Uh, Excuse me, I got the hiccups all of a sudden. They raced on Saturday at Watkins Glen at 4 o'clock Eastern time. Um, and uh, Ty Gibbs came up with the win. And I'll tell you what, he's been super impressive to come up with three wins in 10 races that he's raced in the Xfinity Series this season. Uh, it's not often that we see those kind of results from an 18-year-old driver. Yeah, that's so. You are so right on that. I mean, you really—it's this kid is, is amazing, you know. And to beat the drivers that he beat, I mean, AJ Allmendinger, who's a, you know, who's probably probably one of the best when it comes to road courses in, yeah. in the series. You know, and, and even Austin Taker, you know, Austin Taker <laughs> too. Yeah, he's really proven that he's, you know, he's a good road course really racer. Proven. Oh, yeah, he's a real good Now, Ty Gibbs was racing the number 54, uh, which has actually won nine victories on the season, uh, which represents about 45% of all the races won. So that's pretty amazing. Uh, A.J. Allmendinger did finish second, followed by Austin Sindrick in third. Justin Allgauer finished fifth, I'm sorry, fourth. And Harrison Burton rounds out the top five. The next five drivers were Brandon Jones, 
Noah Gregson, Jeff Burton, Justin Haley, Sam Mayer uh, is the man who uh, runs off the top ten. Uh, Sindrick picked up his eighth stage victory of the season by winning the first stage. Almendinger won his sixth stage as he won the second stage. There were 12 lead changes among just six drivers and eight cautions for 15 yellow flag laps. The average speed of the race, 84.088 miles per hour. Uh, Ty Gibbs won the 26th annual Screwball Peanut Butter Whiskey 200 at the Glen. Uh, again, it was his third victory in in 10 Xfinity Series races. His third victory in eighth top 10 finish this year. It's also his first victory and first top 10 finish in two races at Watkins Glen. Almendinger posted his second top 10 finish in four races at Watkins Glen, and it's his 13th top 10 finish this year. Austin Sindrick posting his second top 10 finish in four races at Watkins Glen. Uh, Ty Gibbs, of course, was the highest finishing rookie of the race, and Austin Hill uh, still has the lead. These guys still have some more races before they uh, end their season, uh, but uh, let's talk about the race results first. Your thoughts about the race results here, Jay, or Sal? Yeah, it was, it was a good, like I said, it was a good race. You know, um, you know, I watched a lot of it. You know, um, you know, there was a lot of, you know, I mean, you expect it, you know, from, you know, this series, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, crashes and spins and stuff like that. But, I mean, Ty Gibbs just really went out there and, and uh, and um, you know, and uh, uh, put on a show. Um, somebody made somebody made a video. I wish I could find it again. But um, they were talking to Kyle Bush was talking about Ty Gibbs and not having a sponsor on his head. And um, Kyle said they should just use uh, what is it um the one haircutting place that uh, oh, somebody great, has a sponsor. Yeah. Yeah, they they used great clips and they did a a song with Ty Gibbs and they had his hair all done up and you know kind of like curls you know kind of almost almost like a mullet you know they're pretty mm-hmm. good and, you know, yeah he'd be good for the for a great clip sponsor on his hair it was fun it was it's, it's out there mm-hmm. on social media you guys can look it up and and find it but I mean the kid is just, he's just ama- an amazing talent and he's proving it. You know, not only in the Arthur series, you know, but also, you know, when he come up into the Xfinity series, you know, and and, yeah. and do the same thing, you know. So, I mean, you really got to take, you know, you really got to give the kid, you know, his props. Even, and I know it falls back to once again, you know, on, well, look who his grandpa is, you know what, and, you know, and he's got the, but you know what, even though you have the best of the best, you still have to know how to, um, you still have to know how to how to drive and how to race with that equipment. You know, it's not so much having it, but it's it's knowing. You know, it's having the talent. You know, you know to, to to go out there and win, especially when you're racing against drivers like AJ Allmendinger and Austin Cindric. Exactly. You know, not only that, you're racing against Harrison Burton. You know, Justin. Al- well, I should say Justin yeah. Algar. You know what? You know, um, you know, Justin Oh yeah, it's all of them. I mean, you know, they're. I mean, you know, you're talking about some, you know, really good, you know, uh, 
um, Daniel Hamrick, you know, Daniel Hamrick has shown a lot, proven a lot this year. Even though he's still he's still chasing his first win, you know, but I mean Daniel Hamrick is still you know up there in the, you know, as you know, one of the one of the top um, Xfinity Series drivers. Right. Well, he finished twenty second at Watkins Glen this week, but we should also mention that Sam Mayer finished in tenth. He also is a rookie. He's driving that number eight car that in the first half of the season was driven by Josh uh, Berry. And so um, it, it's good to see Sam Mayer have a top 10 finish. Michael Annette, after being out uh, due to some injuries, uh, he was back behind the wheel of that number one junior motorsports vehicle this weekend, and he actually finished in 11th place on Saturday. So that was good to see as well. Yeah, you know, it's it's kind of, you know, the whole Josh Berry thing, you know, it's kind of it's kind of a sad deal when you think about it. The kid was doing yeah. so well, you know, and to think you know nobody would have picked him up, you know, to finish out the season and try to give him a shot, you know, at you know possibly winning, you know, the Xfinity Series championship. But you know, for whatever reason, you know what, nobody wanted, you know, to you know to help him finish off his season, you know, and see you know where it would have went, unless he made the call. Yeah. To, you know, I, I, Unless he said, unless I can run full, full on, you know, I don't want to run part time, you know, and possibly win rookie of the year, you know, but but not have an uh, any shot at the championship. You know what? Despite all that, though, Sal, I do think we have not seen the last of Josh Berry just yet. Oh no, no, not not by a not by a long shot. Okay. Okay, let's go ahead and cover the points report here for the Xfinity Series. Okay, the points are, uh, I think there was much shakeup, you know, as, as, uh, you know, who would have thought. But anyways, Mm -hmm. starting off on first is uh, Austin Austin Cedric still in first, Um, A.J. Allmendinger in second, Justin Allgaier fourth. Harrison Burton, fifth, and Jeb Burton uh, round out the top six. Uh, once again, Austin Cedric, you know, has, you know, a lot of playoff points, and but it's not as big as a gap in this series as it is in the truck because you have uh, A.J. Allmendinger who's only uh, 12 points behind him in the, in the um, playoff points, and uh, Justin Algar 17 points. And then from there, then we go to the next six, which is Justin Haley, seventh, Noah Gregson, eighth, Brandon Jones, ninth, Jeremy Clemens, tenth, Michael Manette, eleventh, and then rounding off the top four is uh, Riley Herbs. Riley was below the cutoff line, I believe, coming into this race. So uh, it's good to his result actually helped him uh, earn enough points to put himself above and really. There's just one point between him and Myatt Snyder in 13th. That's how close that is. Yeah, but then you got to remember too. Uh, um, Myatt Snyder is, is going to be Myatt Snyder is in the playoffs, so Riley's actually out. Michael Odette's on the. Oh, ball. I see. You're right. Yeah, because Myatt has that win. So, um, looking so far, looking. At the projected um, playoff picture of uh, Austin Cedric still first, 
AJ Almendinger second, Justin Algar fourth, Daniel Hamrick. Okay, here we go. Yeah, Daniel Hamrick fourth, and then Jeb Burton, then Harrison Burton, and then Justin Haley, and then Matt Snyder, Noah Gregson, Brandon Jones, Jeremy Clements, and Michael Annette rounded out. Mm-hmm. Okay, you're right. Okay, so um, I've got a question for you. Should NASCAR be reviewing the whole idea of Ty Gibbs racing a part-time schedule and yet having three wins? Should he be in the playoffs? Should NASCAR be you know, reconsidering their thoughts there? You know, it's kind of like a catch-two-switch situation. You know what? I think if I think if a driver has that many wins, you know what? I think you you have to. I mean, you've got to give him his due. But if they give him his due, it's going to fall back on, you know, what? because, you know, he's Joe giving his grant. And you know what? Now, would you do it for a Ryan Sieg? Would you do it for uh, Brett Moffitt? You know, would you do it for, you know, Jesse Little or, you know, just, just somebody else randomly? Right. Would you do it if, if he didn't have the – if he didn't have the Gibbs name, you know, would we, you know, a NASCAR still would want to do it. Well, there's that many drivers we've seen come in and win three out of ten races. Yeah. I mean, you just especially have to the test. So. Yeah, especially as a rookie in the Xfinity Series, not racing full-time. I mean, come on. I mean, I, I you know, I myself think, you know what, that, you know, you you got to show something to the kid. But then again, you know what, you tell the kid, you run full-time, you know, you're in the playoffs. You know, you run around well, part time. And that's the thing that I think is preventing it. I don't know that he has full time sponsorship to run all ten races. So that could be part of what's playing into that as well. It's gonna be interesting to see what happens in the offseason when he signs. You know, if he signs anybody. You know, because well, sponsors don't only look at at the wins, but they're looking at a lot of other things that we don't see. Right, you know. that's true. You know, just like with That's Kyle Larson. I mean, you know, you're looking for Kyle Larson is doing all the way around racing as a whole, but he still has that one mark against him. You know what? That the sponsors just don't know. He's still young. Can he, can he do it again? He'll make the same mistake again. You know, if he gets exactly. You know, you know. So I mean, but what's yeah, I mean, it's surprise? a tough. What's the biggest surprise for you in the Xfinity Series this season? Is it is it I, Ty I Gibbs, think, or should I say besides Ty Gibbs, what's the biggest surprise? Besides Ty Gibbs, I, I would have to say Jeb Burton. Okay, good. You know, you know, I would have to say him because you know, you know, we we we've talked about him, you know, in years past, you know, and um, you know what, and and you know, to see him, you know, to see him knowing that he's going to make the playoffs. You know, after what he's been through, you know, throughout his whole career, you know, I, I think he has to be, you know, I think he has to be one of them. I mean, yeah, we, we who else are we going to talk about? I mean, you know, Well, I mean, I've always felt, I've always felt that Jeff Burton would do well if he was ever put in good equipment. I think, uh, you know, it's been the equipment that he's been in uh, that's kind of held him back. Now that he's in good equipment with college racing, I think he's able to showcase that he does have the talent and deserves to be exactly where he's at. 
Oh, yeah. I mean, College Grayson, they've come a long way. I mean, look at A.J. Allmendinger. I mean, he just he talks so highly of College Grayson, you know, what they've done, what they've got through the transformation, you know, and, and, you know, how they've made themselves, you know, like, you know, uh, you know, a threat, you know, in the Xfinity series. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. they've, they've put their time and they they spent their money, you know, what, and, and um, you know, they're able to, you know, get, you know, sponsors for the drivers, you know what, and, and you know, and, and make it, you know, make them a, you know, a household name when it comes to Xfinity racing. That's true. Uh, but I think Jeremy Clements, too. Did you think Jeremy Clements would make it into the playoffs this year? Uh, no, I didn't, I, didn't, I, didn't think he'd, I didn't think he would make it. I didn't think Jeremy would make it either. I mean, uh, looks like he's pretty much looks like it's pretty much solidly in. Exactly. Well not he said not uh, really yeah. He's thirty four points from the next guy, I guess. Or let's see. He's forty points from uh, Riley Herbs. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Forty points from Riley so Herbs. And forty one from Ryan. Go ahead. It is interesting. Uh, and then Michael Annette, you know, he was granted a waiver that if as long as he can stay in the top 20 uh, that he's going to be. Uh, he was granted a waiver even though he missed uh, two races. Yeah, that's kind of where the Ty Gibbs things come in, you know. You know, you gave Michael and mm-hmm. a waiver. Do you do you give do you give um, Ty Gibbs a waiver? You know, yeah, plus see, Ty I Gibbs going to be around. I think plus that he'd have to guarantee that he could race those ten playoff races in order to be granted a waiver. I think. Exactly. That's exactly what I was going to say. He would have to guarantee. You know, he's going to be around all ten races, and not just you know seven or eight of them or. Six of them, you know, or you know, half of them. Yeah, and I think that could be what's standing in the way of him even being considered for a waiver this year. Um, but it, it has been fun to watch him, you know, come into the series and race against some really great drivers and uh, come up with those wins. His win, his first win at the Daytona Road Course, uh, was shocking in a lot of ways, but he's carried that out uh, throughout these next two wins, a total of three wins, with a second win on a road course. So he might be another road course ace in the making. Yeah, there there could be. You know, there could be. It's, uh, I'll tell you, they've, they've, you know, they 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 sure have made this series, you know, what it is this season, you know, made it exciting to watch again, you know, let's, let's see what happens, you know, once once we get, you know, in the going in the playoffs and get in the middle of the playoffs and see, you know, if they can if they can keep this level of um of competition up and the level of uh you know, keep the interest level still there. Okay. I I got another question for you, uh, Sal. Of the drivers in the top twelve right now which driver do you think is the next driver to come up with a win to get into the Xfinity Series playoffs? 
I don't in the know. top 12 without a win. You know what? If Stuart Hawks racing is a little bit more more consistent, you know, all the way around, I would say Riley Herbst would be one of them I would be really looking at. But you know what? I mean, you know, and he's been really silent this year too, as Justin Haley has been really super silent. You know, yeah, him and, really. him and uh, Harrison Burton have been signing that one. But I, I got to have a feeling that Daniel Hamrick is going to break out and get that win. I finally. really think that, that he's going to get it. Yeah, I think he's finally going to get that win. I think that it would be a very popular win out of all of the series that Daniel Hamrick has raced in. It is just unfathomable to me that he has never won a race. It is. Isn't it's that so true. amazing? It, 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 it's amazing but true that he has never won a race in his career. So I think if he does get to victory lane, and I would love to see that, I think it's going to be a hugely popular victory. You know, and, and that's and when you say his career, that's even a super late model, too. I know. It's just unbelievable. He, 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 came, he came down... Four years ago, he came down to um, four years ago, three years ago, he came down to uh, Bakersfield for the Winter Showdown, and uh, he finished actually finished third. Him and Buddy Shepard were teammates, and Derek Dorn won the race. And then it went from Buddy, it went from Derek to Buddy, and then Daniel Hamrick and Buddy finished like real close, second and third to each other. And when Daniel wow. came out, especially in the, in, the, in the car that he was in, there was a, it was a team that you know it was one of the you know, one of the, you know, stronger teams in super late model racing. When Daniel Hammer came out and, you know, his practice times were solid, you know, his uh, his qualifying was really good. And, and everybody thought, you know, with his experience, you know, that he was going to be, you know, one of the ones, you know, that's really going to, you know, you know, give Derek Dorn a run for his money. But, um, you know, at the end, you know, what he, you know, he ended up with the third place, the third place finish. Mm-hmm. You know, Snowball Derby is the same thing. I've seen him three or four years of the Snowball Derby. Man, and good well, he did a lot never... of second place finishes this year. Yeah. He's... He has a lot of second place finishes in his whole career. Yep. Yep. But, okay. You know, he, he, so... he might be the Mark Martin of uh, he might be the Mark Martin of cup racing, you know, have all those wins and never get a championship. Yeah, isn't that amazing? I, I hope he does get a win before this year is out. I think he certainly uh, deserves that, and uh, I'm really, really looking forward to it. Okay, let's again, I know we're a little bit ahead of schedule, but we're going to go ahead and move on to the Cup Series and their race at Watkins Glen. Uh, they're they're going to be racing this weekend at Indianapolis Motor Speedway as well. Uh, but for now, we're going to be talking about the Go Bowling at the Glen uh, that was run on Sunday, August the 8th at Washington. Kyle Larson uh, is back in victory lane this weekend, uh, but he had to navigate through some lap traffic in the closing lap uh, in order to hold off a hard-charging Hendrick Motorsports teammate, Chase Elliott, the track's most prolific winner as of late. Uh, and so the 28-year-old California Larson has uh, been a driver to count on this season 
finishing either first or second ten times through 23 races so far this year. Uh, Sunday's trophy at Watkins Glen uh, was Larson's fifth win of the year and the 11th of his career. Uh, the win, uh, the second-place finisher, Elliott, finished second, followed by Martin Truex Jr., Kyle Busch, Danny Hamlin, William Byron, Christopher Bell, Kevin Harvick, Chase Briscoe, and Tyler Reddick. Uh, so that was a really good finish for Chase Briscoe uh, in that Stuart House Racing number 14. Larson took the lead from Truex during the final green flag pit stop of the day, and then he never looked back. Despite that late charge by Chase Elliott, the margin of victory was more than two seconds. Uh, the pole sitter, Brad Keselowski, battled a brake issue during much of the day. He ended up finishing in 35th place. Uh, the stage one was won by Joel Organo, stage two by Martin Truex Jr. There were seven lead changes among seven drivers and four cautions for six yellow flag laps. The average speed of the race was 101. miles per hour. Uh, It was the 35th annual Go Bowling at the Glen uh, race and the 11th victory in 247 Cup Series races for Kyle Larson. Again, his fifth victory and 16th top 10 finish this season. Uh, It was his first victory and fourth top 10 finish in eight races at Watkins Glen. Chase Elliott posted his third top 10 finish in six races at the Glen, and it was his 13th. Hold on, hold on. No. I'm sorry, I had to catch my dog. She's chewing on a bead. Okay, sorry about that, folks. (laughs) Um, Chase Elliott posted his third top 10 finish in six races at the Glen, and his 13th top 10 finish this year. Martin Truex Jr. posting his 10th top 10 finish in 16 races at the Glen. And Chase Bristol in 9th was the highest finishing rookie of the race. So uh, your thoughts about the race results at the Glen? Yeah, you know, you really have to take your, um, you got to really take your hat off to uh, Chase Ellen, you know, for starting, you know, the rear of the field. You know, because of you know they couldn't they couldn't um, they couldn't pass uh, Tech. You know, he 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 did give one heck of a run. Um, you know, I'm, you know, of course, you know, the story is with Larson, but you know, you also kind of look at how young Chase Elliott is to Larson. You know, and and um, you know, and and you know what he what he's able to accomplish. You know, I mean, he had to go by Martin Truex Jr., who was a who was a really good road course racer. He had to get by Kevin Harvick. He had to get by the whole field in order to get up and, you know, to finish second place. Had he not had that mm-hmm. issue, I think that this would have been a, it might have been a Kyle Larson, um, Chase Elliott battle at the end. But I think in the end, I think Chase Elliott would have pulled so far out ahead of, of Kyle Larson that he would have never even seen, you know, you know the rear end of the car. But, like I said, you know, because of what happened, you know, with him losing, you know, with, uh, you know, the penalty. Let me ask you a question. Start. Do you think Chase Elliott is kind of establishing a little bit of a bad rep right now, uh, considering that, 
he did have that pre-race inspection that uh, kind of put him at the back of the field. And he's you had a what? couple of those this year. He's had several of those yeah, he, this year. Yeah, he's he's had he's had a few, but you know you really can't blame Chase because Chase ain't and this is a thing that people don't understand. Chase doesn't work on the car. You know, just no, I know. I'm not blaming Jimmy. Chase. Yeah, uh, but he represent his he represents a team. Yeah, oh yeah, it does. I mean, you know what? And, and it's going to be I was, what I was getting ready to say. It's going to be like the Jimmy Johnson season. You know, every mm-hmm. time Jimmy wins, you know Jimmy's winning because he's cheating. You know, that's the only reason Jimmy's winning, and they're going to say the same thing about Chase. The only reason Chase wins, you know, because they're cheating. Right. They, just, they just happen to they happen to they just didn't get caught this week. You know, with their cheating. But then, you know, Dell Jr. had something interesting to say, too. You know, on, um, I think it was after the race. I can't remember. He was doing an interview. And um, they were talking about that, you know, about the, you know, what's going on with Chase, you know, and, and the team. And, and Dell goes, you know what? He goes, he goes, there's not one car out there that is legal. Every car is. There's not one? They just, he said that not all the cars. He said there's not one car out there that is totally 100% Oh, yeah. Legal. Dale Jr. always says that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He, he said, he goes, everybody has their own little ways, you know, of doing this, doing that, you know, cheating the system, you know what, and he goes, and, 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 and if your car is 100% legal, he goes, I don't want you in my shop. You, know, you can't work with me, you know, because that's why I hire you, you know, to find these little gray areas. You know what? And, um, you know, whatever they found for Kyle Larson, you know what, you know, it's working. You know, unfortunately, Chase got caught. You know, but, you know, even after right. they fixed the problem and they brought him out, you know, Chase was still fast. I mean, look at, he passed, mm-hmm. you know, he passed, what, 35 cars, to, you know, twice. to get to that second spot. <laughs> yeah, twice, yeah. So, yep. um, so, yeah, you know, he's I, definitely I, talented, I think, on on these road courses. Uh, and I know a lot of people expected him to be the driver to beat at uh, Watkins Glen. Uh, but Kyle Larson, he's another driver that's really peaking at a really good time. Uh, I, I, I don't know if I would have picked him to be in the Final Four early in the season, but I certainly would now. Yeah, I, I didn't. I didn't have Kyle Larson even making the playoffs this year. Yeah. So you know, when the, when the season started, really... I thought you know what he's. I thought he's got so much to go through. He's got so much. I mean, just the. I mean, first of all, trying to get the respect back from his, you know, from his colleagues, you know, from the other drivers, you know. You know what happened. Not only that, but they get the respect back from NASCAR, get the respect back from you know his team. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, he, he still can't. He still can't get a sponsor. I mean, Rick has a sponsor, had a sponsor the whole season. You know, because he, you know, sponsors are still staying away from him. You know? Well, it will be um, interesting if he ends up winning the championship. I think that might change. <laughs> yeah, it might, and then it might not because. You know, sponsors look at the bigger picture. You know, they're not looking at you know what he's doing right now. They're looking at you know, you know, has he proven himself or has he not proven himself? You know. Right. 
Let's go ahead and cover the driver points, Sal. Okay. We've got it. Yeah, driver points. Driver points. Uh, Kyle Larson uh, took. Actually, Kyle Larson and Denny Hamlin are tied right now at nine seventeen. Mm-hmm. Um, for the for the um, for the regular season championship. And then, and then third, you got William Byron. Fourth is Kyle Busch. Fifth is Joey McConnell. Sixth is Chase Elliott. Seventh is Martin Church Jr. and Ryan Blaney round up the top eight. Um, kind of interesting scenario with the uh, with off the drivers. Um, and then, gosh, it's hard hard to see Brad down there in Tampa. Then if we go down to the next day, it would be Kevin Harvick, Brad Keselowski, Alex Bowman, Tyler Reddick, Austin Dillon, Kurt Busch, Christopher Bell, and Chris Bush round up the top 16. Yeah. You know, when you think about Kyle Larson and Denny Hamlin up there at the top, both at 917 points, Al, what a difference when you look at the two drivers. Uh, Five race wins for Kyle Larson compared to zero for Denny Hamlin. Twelve stage wins compared to five for Denny Hamlin. And 37 playoff points for Kyle Larson compared to five for Denny Hamlin. Um, Denny Hamlin's done it on consistency, but Kyle Larson has done it by coming on very strong here at the end of the season uh, with those five wins and 12-stage victories. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's amazing because right now the way the, the way the projected standings are, Kyle Larson... Mark Truex Jr., Kyle Busch, Chase Elliott, William Byron, Alex Bowman, Joey Logano, then Danny Hamlin, um, Ryan Blaney, Brad Kozlowski, Kurt Busch, Christopher Bell, Michael McDowell, and uh, Eric Eric Almarola, Kevin Harvick, and Tyler Reddick. Yeah. But then you also got to remember, yeah. too, you have um, – uh, yeah, so, I mean – Things can change. I mean, you got what? You know, things can change, and it probably will change. Oh yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. Um, do you? Can do you? You know, you've got Eric Almarola right now in twenty fourth place. He has a victory. You've got uh, Michael McDowell in nineteenth place who has a victory. Those drivers move up into the top 16 because of their victories as long as they stay in the top 30. Do you see any drivers uh, 30th and above that could come up with a breakout win and put themselves in? You know what? I really don't see anybody unless, I mean, (laughs) I don't really see anybody. I mean, Usually in the past, you know, you always had that one driver, you know, that was down there that had done it. But, I mean, and Ricky Stenhouse would have probably been one of them, but now with the team that he's with now, um, uh, you know, I don't know, maybe Austin Dillon picks up a win, you know. Um, but I just mm-hmm. don't see – I just don't see anybody. I mean, Eric Jones is having major issues this year with, uh, with uh, Richard Petty Motorsports. 
Yeah, he's not the same driver as what he was, but then too, you look at the equipment. Same with Cole Custer. You know, yeah, Cole Custer's just, I mean, they're struggling. I mean, the whole SHR team is just struggling. I mean, I, I, I still don't know how the hell Eric Almer will pick up that win. Yeah, you know? yeah. I mean, I, so, I, I don't see him as a chase contender. So, what about those guys that are inside the top 16? Drivers like Denny Hamlin, uh, uh, Kevin Harvick, and uh, Tyler Reddick. Uh, well, we got to count uh, Austin Dillon in there, I guess, as well. They don't have I wins yet. I think if there's, if there's going to be any of them, I think it would probably be Denny Hamlin would be the one to possibly pick the win. It's amazing how he went from from being last season hero and and last season, you know, you name it. Denny Hamlin was it. Kevin Harvick was it, too. And this year, they're not even a threat. I think that has to be one of the biggest surprises this year in the Cup Series. Yeah, I just, I don't know, I just, it's, it's, it's crazy to see Danny and um, Kevin without a win. Yes, it is. So we'll have to see what happens. Three more races left uh, with uh, Indianapolis Motor Speedway's road course coming up this weekend. Who's your favorite to win at the road course? I don't, I mean, you you, you almost have to go with Chase. Mm-hmm. Chase Elliott. You know, yeah, especially with the week that he had this week. You know, I mean, you know, come up, come up, come up as many spots as he did. You know, and, and doing you know, without wrecking and you know, you know, wrecking out with people and you know, you know, I mean, the strength that he's been at the road course, he almost have to go with Chase. Okay. Yeah, I, I definitely think Chase is a favorite. Kyle Larson has to be a favorite. But, uh, you know, the top three drivers, I think, all have to be favorites uh, for this weekend at Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Oh, so yeah. that includes my as well. Okay. Um, let's cover some of the news. Uh, that's been happening. Bob Jenkins uh, passed away from Indianapolis, speaking of Indianapolis. Uh, and he's he's a broadcaster from Indianapolis Motor Speedway for the Indy 500 races. And I'll tell you what, uh, he's going to be a huge loss. Oh, yeah. A lot of people remember Bob Jenkins. Yeah, it was a, it, it is going to be a huge loss. I mean, all, all the everything you're reading on social media, you know what? Not only from NASCAR, but you know IndyCar, you know, um, you know, you know, every motorsport across the across the board, you know, has been you know has been um, you know posting about Bob Jenkins, you know, and you know and what he's meant to you know to the you know not just one series but to motorsports in general, you know, the, you know the you know, his style, you know, and just what he brought to the table, you know, it, it's, um, I mean, it's really, really missed a lot, a lot. Yeah, 
Yeah, he's he's considered the voice of the 500. Um, of the, he was from Liberty, Indiana, and was heard globally over five decades on the Indianapolis Motor Speedway Radio Network, serving several positions, including chief announcer from 1990 through 1998. Jenkins was one of only four people to serve as a television play-by-play announcer in ABC's 54-year history of broadcasting the Indianapolis 500. Uh, it's, it's, it's just a really sad day uh, that we heard this, and our thoughts and prayers certainly go out to his family and, and the numerous fans uh, that are honoring him and uh, missing him uh, with all this news. Yeah, it was it was it was sad. I remember when uh you know when you know, I first heard about it and I was like, Wow, Bob Jenkins, you know, and then you know, I it didn't hit me at first and all of a sudden, you know, I started seeing post after post, you know, some of the drivers you know, were posting pictures with him, you know, and you know, talking about, you know, you know, what he meant to sports and, you know, just all this stuff. It's I mean, gosh, I mean he's it's just gonna be a big it's gonna be a big void, you know, for the rest of, you know, for not only for the season, but for even next season coming up too. It definitely is. Uh, also, Austin Sindrick is actually going to be in a Cup car this weekend at Indianapolis. Uh, he's been pretty competitive in the Cup car already on the road courses. How do you think he's going to do in that number thirty-three Ford this weekend? It's going to be interesting to see. You know, I, I. I think I think he'll do good. I mean, you know, he's proven himself, you know, and, and he's proven, you know, that he that he deserves you know, you know, that he deserves a shot. Um you know I'll tell you it'll probably be a lot more it'll probably be a lot more um gosh, what's the word I'm trying to use? It'll probably be a lot more successful than the success that Jimmy Johnson had this weekend up in um Nashville. Yes. <laughs> so that was a it'll disaster. be fun. Yeah, that's what I've yeah. heard. I did not see that race, but I did hear about it. That's going to be one of our hot topics tonight uh, at ten o'clock Eastern time as well. One last little he bit here to, I want to bring up he, before we say goodbye is NASCAR is going to present Wendell Scott's family with a race win trophy. Any thoughts about that? You know, when he won I in think, 1964, they didn't give him his trophy because it was. Wow. Uh, I think that's great. I think he, you have to give him a trophy. You know what? Um, he deserved it. He earned it. You know what? And just because of, you know, what was going on, you know, at, at that time, you know, with, uh, you know, with the racism and, and all that, you know, you, you, you've got to give him, you know, what he, what he truly earned, you know what? And, and, and it's just sad that, you know, that it had to come now, you know, with the, you know, with the, you know, the, the BLM movement, you know, I, I think this should have been done, you know, SAT, like, you know, ago. way back. Yeah. I mean, I, I think agree. they waited. And, and I, and I kind of think that NASCAR is trying to capitalize on the BLM movement, you know, with what, you know, all the crap that, you know, Bubba Wallace pulled. And I, and I think NASCAR is just trying to, you know, you know, boost their ratings you know, by doing this, you know, and, and putting them, you know, to look like the good guy, you know, after looking for the bad guy all these years. Well, here's the thing. They're going to award 
the trophy to the family at the Coca-Cola Zero 400 race at Daytona Speedway on August the 28th. So that's the last race of the regular season when they're also going to give uh, the title for the regular season champion. So uh, it's going to be a pretty big event uh, where they're going to be finally long overdue give that trophy to uh, Wendell Scott and his family. Yeah, it is, like you said, it, yeah, like you said, it's long way overdue, and um, you know, and, and they need to they need to do what's right, you know, and, and you know, take care of them. Okay, now uh, we are uh, almost at the top of the hour here. What are you going to be doing this weekend, Jay? Jay, I'm sorry. I'm Sal. <laughs> Sal. <laughs> Well, I do that I'm to going Sal. To a... I call Jay Sal all the time, so <laughs> I, I, I'm an equal opportunity person here. <laughs> there you go. Well, I'm leaving a Frisco on Wednesday to work Thursday and Friday, and hoping that I'm have to work. I was supposed to be doing another job on Saturday, Saturday evening, next to Frisco, but I'm hoping that job gets canceled because I'm taking all my stuff because we have the um, the Southwest Tour race this weekend in Stockton, the SRL Southwest Tour Race. Oh, so cool. I'm hoping to, uh, I'm hoping that I can, um, that I'll be able to see it. Okay, well, I hope you'll be able to do that as well. Uh, we appreciate you being here, and uh, Jay's going to try to step in for you for next week. I know you said you're going to be uh, out of town again for work. And so uh, yeah. I'm hoping that Jay will be able to step in that seat for you. So thanks for being here, Sal. We appreciate it. No yeah. wonder I'm so confused over who I'm talking to. <laughs> I know it's been a this this is this is our last week, finally. So our last uh, five days on this job. So hopefully I'll have to. Actually, I've I, I made other trips out there in between. But 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 I'm hoping wow. this is off. Yeah, I've, I've made like day trips out there, you know, for like overnighters and stuff like that. So I'm hoping, hoping that this will be the end of the end of it, and I and I won't have okay. to. Uh, and I'll have to um, take any more money off. Okay, well we appreciate it, Sal. So, uh, safe travels to you, and uh, we'll look forward to talking to you again when you get back. All right, you guys. I'll have a safe, safe. Uh, Nice, safe weekend, and uh, we'll talk to you in a couple weeks. Okay. Take care now. All right. Okay. Okay. Bye-bye. Okay. We are one minute past the uh, top of the hour, and so it is past due time for our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off. And joining us for tonight's show, uh, we do have Michael Orzel here. Welcome to the show, Mike. Well, I heard you call Sal Jay, and I'm glad you called me Mike because Jay would never greet everybody with a big hey <laughs> Well, I did remind Sal that I've called Jay Sal a few times too. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Jay. Yeah, I guess it's one of those of uh, it's not the worst thing I've been called, but I, de- I definitely have a list as far as preference there, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so with that, it is time for our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off. And, uh, Mike, 
Let's go to you for the first top topic for tonight. Well, I heard you mention it a couple of minutes ago when you were talking to Sal. I know Andy was watching it with me because we were talking in the race day chat. Uh, I'm not sure if anyone else saw the IndyCar race at Nashville uh, on the street course this weekend. But if you did, I'm curious whether you think it helped, hurt, or really didn't make a difference in terms of NASCAR's case to get a Cup Series race at the Nashville Fairgrounds. Okay, Jay, I'm going to let you uh, kick that off. All right. Now, now I, I didn't actually see the race. However, uh, chatting with Mike there when he brought the topic up, uh, there is a, it's a comparison of apples and oranges. However, it does can have an impact. Uh, when you talk about the run in a street course, which is different, IndyCar is different. But uh, certain things can bring, be, come to light that can influence the city and, and how they make their decision moving forward. Some of it could be good or some of it bad. The racing itself, uh, from what Mike had said, maybe wasn't the best, too tight, uh, not, not a lot of passing, more bumping and banging, but that goes to NASCAR is bringing it to the oval track. However, as he said, if they're just not interested in motorsports racing then because of it, which there may be some that would hold it all racing in one lump group, uh, that it could be a detriment. So I, I don't know if it is going to sway overall one way or the other. I can see where some from both sides may have said, hey, this is why we need NASCAR, need it on the oval track of the, uh, at the fairgrounds, that, and also some that may say, hey, we don't need racing at all. Uh, you know, me personally, I'm not a big fan of the street course. I know we've talked about that as far as NASCAR doing that. I, I'm not sure that's the best route to go. Um, we'll see if they test the waters with it. If you have NASCAR on the street course and it's a disaster, then you can say, hey, this, we don't want NASCAR here. Or again, though, it's, hey, that's why they belong on ovals. <laughs> Okay, I know when you brought this up, I had to say, uh, what fiasco, <laughs> because I did not watch the race. So uh, I'm going to be uh, completely uh, transparent with that. Um, but I think that uh, Jay brings up some good points. In, in a way, it is an apples to oranges uh, comparison, because you're talking street racing versus oval racing. But I also agree with Jay in that. Uh, you know, the people that are opposed uh, to NASCAR being um, at Nashville are just going to look at it as racing. They're not going to distinguish between road courses versus, I mean, street racing versus oval racing. So um, according to what you wrote here, you said the race was a mess, multiple back-to-back crashes, uh, a water leak from somewhere onto the track, and a course that was very tight and encouraged contact, but not good racing. Again, I, I have to, I'm going to go on and hear what you said uh, a little bit later, but I have to say as it relates to all of those comments, I would have to say that all sounds like it's stuff that wouldn't necessarily happen on an oval track. Uh, I don't think we're going to be talking about a water leak uh on the oval track as compared to a water leak on a street course. Um, the fact that it was very tight, again, that we're talking something entirely different than oval racing. And, uh, uh, again, that tight, that encouraged contact, but not necessarily good racing. Again, I think that's all attributed to the street race versus a track race. 
Uh, you went on to say a word from a buddy who was there uh, was said it was difficult, if not impossible, to keep track of what was going on and also difficult to move around to different parts of the course. And that, too, has, relates all to street course racing. Um, it sounds exciting. It sounds like it would be interesting. But I think for fans that go to those races, it is going to be hard to know what's going on uh, unless they can have TV screens all the way down. And that kind of defeats the purpose of uh, having a street course race or any kind of a race. Fans like to be at the race because they want to see what's going on on the track. So they really have to distinguish uh, NASCAR, if they want to make headway with moving into Nashville, uh, whether it be 22 or 23, and right now I think it's closer to 23, I think they have to really consider um, making that distinction between the street race versus the track race because uh, and make it very clear to those people who are opposing it for all of the reasons that you're out- outlining here. NASCAR is not looking to do those things for those reasons, although they are looking to do that at some other uh, venues. So I uh, I think this is a strong case for why we don't do street racing, but I don't think it's a strong enough case for why NASCAR shouldn't be at, at Nashville. Uh, so I'll just leave it at that until my uh, follow-up round, and Mike, it's your go. You kind of covered some of the stuff that I laid out there, and yeah, if if you didn't get a chance to watch the indie race, but you've got it recorded and you want to watch it later, earmuffs, give me about 60 seconds. I might get into some spoiler territory here. So if you want to watch it later, go, go make a sandwich or something. Anyway, that race, it's the first probably half to two-thirds of the race. I don't know that they got maybe three to five total laps consecutive under green before another caution came out. Sometimes they didn't even make it into the first turn before another caution came out. They had a lengthy red flag period for the track getting blocked and every single car being shut down, which if you're unfamiliar with Indy cars, they have a much more complicated startup process than a stock car does. You don't just flip a couple switches and it goes. It takes an exterior start outside of the car to hook it up and start each car individually. So it was a red flag period that lasted almost 30 minutes because of another massive crash. Two or three more crashes later, we finally had what was shaping up to maybe be a good battle for the lead. Colton Herta was chasing down Marcus Erickson. It was very similar to yesterday's cup race at Watkins Glen where you had a faster car with Colton Herta looking like he was finally going to chase down and challenge for the win, and then all of a sudden, one one too tight turn later, and Colton Herta has destroyed his car about 10 lengths, 10 car lengths away from having a chance to race for the lead. And it really took whatever wind that could have been in the sails of that race out of the race. And there wasn't really anything left to appeal for it with regard to it being a different race than a potential cup race at the Nashville fairgrounds. You're absolutely right. However, I've been in this position before uh, with trying to set up autocross races for my local club. The people who make those kind of decisions, if they're not really interested in the subject and don't understand the nuances and differences of it, they tend to use a really broad brush to paint. And for us, for autocross, when we were requesting a site to conduct a very structured, sanctioned by the SCCA type or uh, event with a very thick rule book and very strict rules and all that, a lot of these decision-making types, they think of like a Cars and Coffee or a streetcar takeover where all you've got is just a bunch of hoons out there doing donuts in their parking lot, and they don't want anything to do with that noise, that damage, and that liability. So my concern is 
the decision makers in Nashville, if they're not really read into the differences between what NASCAR is proposing versus what IndyCar just actually did, my concern is they're going to get out their broad brushes and they're going to start painting and they're going to start saying, why do we want to have another for lack of a better word, fiasco in our city that's just going to cause a whole bunch of problems with noise complaints, pollution complaints, all the stuff that NASCAR is trying to work uphill against, that that just got opened back up of is it worth going through all of that for a show that's going to be like this? And that's my concern. The SRX race that they did at the fairgrounds last month was outstanding. It was phenomenal. And I really hope that they're able to lean against that and saying, hey, we NASCAR, we're going to put on a show like SRX did. Don't, don't think we're going to put on a show like IndyCar. Our show is going to be much more like SRX. And I think that's the best thing that NASCAR has to lean on right now because the nationally televised, very hyped IndyCar race there. It was not something I'd want to hang my hat on. Okay, Jay, your follow-up. You said you said it, Mike. That's on NASCAR to to promote that, and they don't have to do it okay. by attacking necessarily the uh, the IndyCar race, but showing what they present that is different and, and not that way. And I, I don't think. And then, like you said, they're gonna they're gonna go back and pull the SRX. This is one of those, though, where I do think NASCAR really needs to look at whether or not they should be going into that foray of street racing. Uh, a road course is one thing. When you talk about the, the issues that they had, a road, road course is designed with that. There is more room than on the street course. The track problems you shouldn't have because the track has prepared for that. A road course or a street cor- course can have issues like that. And then moving around and I've only been to two road courses that I can speak of, one being Road America. There were several spots where you could go and see several areas of the track. You weren't manipulating your way in throughout the city, which is one of the concerns I expressed when the the topic of NASCAR going road Mm -hmm. or street course racing. So I think that, you know, you're going to, you're right. You're going to have those people that are going to try and use that broad stroke of motor racing isn't worth it. There were these problems that's where NASCAR steps in and said, yeah, but we won't have these problems because we're on an oval track. The track is prepared. Uh, you know, the crashes, tight racing, that depends on the track and the day. And, you know, NASCAR, any race that has that occasionally, you also have the race where one guy just dominates and blows everybody out of the water, and people don't like that either. It just That's not a regular week-to-week thing, though. So that, too, you got to be prepared. You can counter those real easy. If that's the argument they're going to make, you got the counter argument to say, okay, but that's not what we're presenting. So I, I don't see that as an issue as far as countering it, whether that sways it or not, or how much pull that community has to put pressure on the city of Nashville to not let NASCAR in. That's where it's to me, it's more of a political thing, unfortunately, of whether or not these people are going to do what's best for the city and productive or, what they think is going to get them reelected or staying off. And I'll leave it at that. Yeah. I mean, I agree with everything you just said, Mike, or I'm sorry, uh, Jay, I agree with everything that you just said. Oh, she got me. I did. I did. I can't believe I did that. Um, But I, I agree with all that you said because you almost took the words right out of my mouth. That's up to NASCAR. That's what, that's what NASCAR is there to do is to make those distinguishing differences uh, clear 
so that people can make an informed decision and not a broad stroke decision. Uh, and you're right, there's going to be people that are going to be looking at it for, with broad strokes simply because they don't have a full picture of what they're trying to make a decision on. NASCAR's job is to to make that a clearer picture for these people that are making those decisions. And that's getting to what uh, Jay just ended with. Uh, why they cannot see the benefit uh, is just beyond me when you think about the business that they're bringing into that city, the taxes that people are going to be paying in Nashville for the weekend that they spend there. As we all know, NASCAR is not a, a, a sport. It's a lifestyle. And it, some people get to the track a week ahead of time and they're spending money in the city. So if they can get it, – it can help them reduce their taxes uh, by bringing NASCAR in there. Uh, and, and that's going to benefit every single citizen in that city. So they have to decide if, if uh, that means enough to them uh, to want to bring NASCAR into the fold of uh, Nashville. It's one of the hottest places in the country right now, which is why uh, NASCAR is trying to get into Nashville uh, to race at either the fairgrounds or the super speedway. But these guys, uh, NASCAR really has to do a good job of pointing out all of the benefits uh, and all of those distinguishing differences uh, when they make their presentation uh, to the those that are making the decision there in Nashville. Uh, and up to this point, um, either they're blocking it <laughs> or they're, they're just so dead set against it uh, that they're not open to hearing another perspective is the only thing that I can come up with. But, Mike, I'm going to give you the uh, mic here for the last say-so on this topic. I really hope you're right. I absolutely hope you're right. You're, you're, you're 100% correct that NASCAR brings an incredible financial footprint to wherever they go. The problem is sometimes that's not enough. Back again on trying to get a site for our autocross, we used to have a site in a small town in Mississippi. We had one major event there uh, prior to us losing the site, and it brought in 20% of the city's annual revenue worth of receipts for hotels, meals, other stuff that the people that we brought into that town accounted for. So a 20% bump to the city's budget for one weekend, but all it took was one mm-hmm. guy, one fun, fun goblin who, who knew the right people to lean on, and we lost the site. And the city wasn't willing to fight, even though it, was, it represented that much of a financial boost to them. They weren't willing to put in the fight because – the right guy or the wrong guy, depending on your point of view, knew the people to lean on in order to get his way. And despite the revenue that we brought to town, we lost the site. Hopefully that's not the case with NASCAR and Nashville. Um, I'm really glad we had that SRX race there a month ago, and I'm really glad that it was such a great show because it's a great contrast to the IndyCar race. And it is a lot closer of a representation of the kind of racing and the kind of event that NASCAR tries to put on. So it's really good that Tony Stewart and Ray Evernham brought SRX to Nashville Fairgrounds very recently and gave NASCAR something to bounce off against this IndyCar race as a contrast and kind of a a Mm -hmm. way to sell the NASCAR product versus just 
motorsports in general and maybe narrow up those brushes just a little bit. I don't think we're going to see the National Fairgrounds on the 2022 schedule one way or the other. I'm just hoping the door is still open and we can make it happen for 23 or beyond. Okay. Okay, Jay, you're up next for the next topic. Well, we got to go with the number nine at Chase Elliott. Uh, another second place finish, <laughs> darn near a road course victory, but they took another L1 penalty, and initially it says it lost 35 points in the last two races. I know, Mike, you clarified it. Uh, it's actually a total of 72. Did now drop him to position seven in the standings. When they reset for the playoffs, that's a difference of four playoff points as well as one playoff point via the Nashville DQ, which equals five playoff points uh, that would change in the reseeding. Uh, we'll start there, and I'll let Mike go. <laughs> okay, go, Mike. Well, yeah, I mean, the, the 35 points, if, if uh, you're not clear on that, uh, it was a 25-point penalty for the engine swap issue between the 9-team and the 48-team following the Loudon race. We talked about that in the previous show where it wasn't any sort of competitive advantage or cheating. It was, as Hendrick Motorsports described it, it was an administrative error, take it for what you will, where one sealed Tiny engine from the race-winning nine <laughs> – well, it is what it is. Anyway, uh, the sealed engine from the nine's race-winning car from Road America ended up in the 48 at Loudoun before NASCAR got a chance to tear it down and inspect it. That is against the NASCAR rules. Both the 9 and the 48 team were both docked 25 points for it, and that was the first L1 penalty that Jay alluded to. And then this weekend, the 9 team uh, had another 10-point deduction for multiple check failures going through inspection at Watkins Glen. Uh, Not only did they start in the rear, crew chief Alan Gustafson was ejected from the event, and again, the team was docked 10 points. That brings the total to 35 in the past two races. And then if you'll remember, the 9 team was disqualified from the uh, the New Hampshire race, and that's where the remainder of those 72 points come in if you factor in the points that he could have won uh, for a stage victory plus his finish position at New Hampshire, I'm sorry, at uh, um, uh, uh, not New Hampshire, where he, where he was disqualified at. Anyway, uh, and the, uh, Nashville. The stage in that <laughs> Nashville, that's it, sorry, drew a blank. Anyway, uh, so that one stage point plus the race finish points, he lost there to bring the total to 72. Like Jay said, he's now in uh, the seventh position in the overall point standings versus third if he had all those points back to him, and a total loss of five playoff points between what would be awarded at the end of the regular season for a third-place finish plus the one playoff point loss from the stage one that he didn't get for Nashville. Well, five playoff points, that's the equivalent of one race win. A pretty significant penalty, not obviously season ending for the 19, but it's not an insignificant penalty either. So the question is, what's going on with the 19? I think this is just Hendrick Motorsports again with their toe in the water, seeing what they can push and what they can't. Um, I think Alan Gustafson is trying to be Chad Knauss, but he's not Chad Knauss, so he's not getting away with some of the stuff that Chad did. And I think that's kind of where we're at right now. Yeah. Um, I'm one of those people that feel like the excuse of it being an administrative error was just a, uh, just a, I don't even know what you want to call it. I I just don't believe it. Let's just put it that way. I I think that they had to say something, and so that's what they said. Um, But they're obviously trying some things with that 19, 
and uh, they're getting caught uh, for trying those things. Yeah, that's a significant number of points. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, five points does equal one win, but he still has two wins. Uh, so that does help him in his seeding uh, when the playoffs begin, uh, those two wins. They haven't actually taken any wins away from uh, Chase Elliott. Um, I do think that it, it may have, he may be seeded differently, but as soon as the playoffs begin and we get into the round, uh, it may not have any impact at all on what happens for the remainder of the uh of the uh, playoffs. So I I still think that NASCAR has to start doing something more drastic to kind of stop that unless they, they're okay with it continuing. Um and we've talked about that too. To me cheating is cheating. I know a lot of people feel like uh Dale Junior included, I've heard keep hearing this, uh, that unless you're you're trying to find that loophole, you're not really trying. So I think that these people are smart enough to find the loophole and work within the rules versus working outside of the rules. Uh, they're, they're super smart people. Um, so stay within the rules. Don't, don't play outside of the uh, guidelines and the rules that uh, NASCAR has put into place here. So to me, cheating is cheating, and again, I don't want to crown a champion uh, that has been caught numerous times throughout a season doing something that is illegal. I think it's wrong. I don't want to see, (laughs) at this point, I don't want to see Chase Elliott as a champion. He's had too many penalties uh, for me to really celebrate him as a champion at the end of the season. So that's just the way I look at it. Uh, Jay, what are your thoughts on Right along those same lines. Uh, I like Chase Elliott. I think he's good for the sport. Uh, But this is becoming a a serious negative thing on a couple levels. Uh, You talk about the the five playoff points. That's equivalent to five positions on the track. Uh, When when it comes down to it per race, it's one point per position. Mm -hmm. So that's five positions on the track. And that's going to be taken care of in that first race. So he's still in the playoffs. He's still eligible for the playoffs. Uh, that's where the issue comes in for me. Second thing is is the argument of why NASCAR may be losing fans. And Sharon mm-hmm. is kind of alluding to it. I didn't think she'd follow through with where I'm going to come from, but the people that don't like to watch wrestling, WWE, because it's staged. The outcome is predetermined. What does this feed to the people that say NASCAR is that way? Chase Elliott's championship last year. What did he get away with that they just didn't call out last year? Now they're being caught. They know it. Okay. But they're really not taking him out of the championship either. They want him to have his shot because he's the most popular driver. And we went through this with Dale Jr. The, I had another thought there. Um, Oh, I can I can already kind of kind of see, and it's unfortunate, but I can see where people are going to start coming at if Kyle Larson wins the championship. That oh NASCAR wants to show that they gave him a second chance. He won the championship. They're so great, and people are going to try and discredit that by saying they gave it to Kyle Larson, and, and that's just so unfortunately so untrue. He has come out there and just 
run the wheels mm-hmm. off. I mean, he's beaten the best on the road courses, if you will, in Chase Elliott. Because Chase Elliott had the car. We know that car was fast. We know he can drive road courses and another few laps or one other little misstep, and it could have been a different outcome um, from that aspect. So NASCAR needs to do something to shut all of that down and say, hey, we're not giving anything to anybody. We're not letting anybody slide because of their name or their their popularity. They need to do something, as Sharon said, harsh enough that they stop doing it. Mike? Well, if they were going to make those changes and going to nudge races in certain directions or another, it would be a massive sea change uh, from decades within the sport. This is not anything new where it's obvious and well-known that NASCAR, they don't necessarily pick the winner of the race and predetermine outcomes. But if you watch Jimmy Spencer's interview on the Dale Jr. download, it's kind of eye-opening as far as, what Jimmy had the curtain pulled back a little bit and shown. And we've seen a little bit of that as well with regard to how uh, Mike Helton and the France family interacted with Dale Earnhardt Sr., including during the race and things like that. So I don't, I'm not going to go so far as to say NASCAR has predetermined outcomes. That's, that's, I don't believe that's the case at all. However, I don't think that they are impartial in the way that they adjudicate the races. It's just the nature of it, and that's the way it is. And they do have favorite drivers that are good for business. And Chase Elliott is good for business, whether they like it or not, whether other fans like it or not. Chase Elliott is a popular driver. He brings in a lot of revenue for the sport. And it's good for business for Chase Elliott to do well one way or the other. If they want to really crack down on that and, and, and drop a hammer on the 19, well, okay. But what does that mean for the sport going forward? I don't know. I think people watch it. They, 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 everyone says, oh, we want to see the, the integrity of racing and, and all that. But at the same time, they always want their guy to win. And when there's a lot of people wearing nine gear at the racetrack, they come there and they pay their money to see the nine car do well. And I don't think that he needs to necessarily get an unfair advantage, but I kind of understand the motivation to maybe look the other way or not come down as harshly on that team because of the revenue that he potentially represents for the sport. Okay, well, we're at that time of the night, uh, probably as a saving grace, uh, where I'm going to make an announcement for our new listeners uh, because uh, I don't want you being caught off guard. We go off the air at exactly 10.30 p.m. Eastern time here tonight, uh, but the conversation is going to continue uh, beyond that time, and we're going to record that part of the conversation as part of our bonus overtime material that's available on our podcast. What happens is I go out on Twitter as soon as we're finished here tonight, uh, and I will let people know when that podcast is available. And at that point, you can either go to the player at Blog Talk Radio, or you can go to fanforacing.com and uh, use the player that we have posted there, and just fast forward to the two-hour mark to hear the rest of the conversation. Uh, so uh, we go sometimes uh, 10 minutes longer. We Sometimes we go 30 minutes longer. But uh, you can hear uh, the rest of that conversation uh, by doing exactly what I just said, fast-forwarding to two hours and then listening from there. So uh, with that being said, uh, I just wonder what kind of message we are sending to our kids. You've got Dale Jr., one of the most popular drivers in NASCAR, saying, if you're not cheating, you're not trying. So the kid comes home from school and says, 
Mom, they've been cheating for decades. So what's the big deal? They've been cheating for decades, so I can cheat. If I'm not cheating, I'm not trying, right? <laughs> so there, it's a very bad message for a, a company like NASCAR to come out and say, it's okay for you to cheat because we think you're not trying if you're not cheating. That's wrong. That's not the message that we want to send to our children. And I don't think that's the way we teach our children. But for some reason, when we become adults, somehow, some way, because we've been doing it for decades, we've been cheating for decades, so let's go ahead and continue to cheat for more decades and, and think that that's a good example. Wrong. It's just not a good example. And because we've been doing it for decades doesn't mean that we should keep doing it, period. So I'm done with that. Jay, go ahead. <laughs> All right. Uh, I'll take it a little bit different route. And <laughs> one fans know here, it is not against Mike. It is against something he said. So go directly to Mike, but it, it is the statement that, and if you're backing it, I don't agree with you backing it, but here we go. Uh, take, a, take, for example, in the city of Jackson. I know, Mike, you've been around in the area. I don't know how often you go down there, but you get caught for speeding. You're doing 65 and a 55. I come through, and I'm doing 75. Is it okay because I'm the track announcer in that town and maybe no one and you're not? I mean, that's that's just not – I, w- I wouldn't even feel right about that. And that's what you're saying is because of who somebody is, you should look the other way. And we see that within the world, especially within the United States, of certain people get off for certain things because of their status, money, whatever. I mean, that's just not right. A rule is a rule. A law is a law. It doesn't matter who you are or whether or not you can break it. Second, I think it is hurting the sport based on the some of the – fans that drop or are lacking in viewership because of that reason, because they know that NASCAR is looking the other way or giving that favoritism, if you will. And and I don't agree that they have ever predetermined an outcome to a race, in my opinion. Uh, Like Mike said, there may be some things. So when a caution flag is thrown to try and help to prevent them from, say, going a lap down or being out of the race. But here's the way I look at it. With three races to go, I'll agree, Chase is a moneymaker. With three races to go, this is his third penalty in the last month, month and a half. So you're out of the playoffs. What does that bring for the next three races for fans, Chase Elliott fans, that want to see him get back into the playoffs? I mean, there's where your money can be made. Hey, the top guy is out. He's got to get back in. Second off. All these fans that say, oh, we're not going to watch because we know Chase Elliott's going to be given the championship. He's out of the playoffs. Hey, let's find out who gets it then, who earns it and wins it, being that he's not in. Okay, so I I guess that's the last word on that subject. Uh, Again, I agree with Jay. This is not against Mike. uh, We just don't agree with what he is saying, not who he is. So just a a clarification there, again, and a reiteration of that. So, Mike, you get the next hot topic. Well, I'm going to change gears, and this is probably a little less less controversial, but uh, not as uh, 
not as great a news. Uh, we got word today that a longtime ABC, ESPN, and uh, NBC broadcaster Bob Jenkins has passed away after a battle with cancer. And Bob's been off the air for a few years, but if you're old enough to remember, Bob used to be part of the team with Denny Parsons, and they were a great pair in the booth, and uh, he's going to be sorely missed. Absolutely. We talked about that a little bit earlier tonight as well. But, Jay, I want to go to you next. Yeah, thoughts and prayers there. I know he was battling the cancer and unfortunately lost that battle. And and that is one, as Mike said, he's been off the air for a few years. you got to have been a longer-term fan to really know and understand the impact and what he brought to this sport to where we are today. Uh, It's very unfortunate for that loss. Hopefully uh, the family gets through this without a whole lot of uh, more suffering, if you will. Uh, But the sport, it may not be a current if we were to lose somebody currently involved, but the the ones that have been fans long-term, the history and knowing what he did bring at the time in his era, uh, we wouldn't be where we are today without him. Uh, There's no doubt about that. And I agree. Yeah, we brought this up, as I mentioned earlier tonight. Uh, our, our thoughts and our condolences go out to the family. Uh, he battled uh, cancer for the last eight months and uh, has now passed away, and he is going to be sorely missed. And if, if there's any indication of that, you know, just look at all of the people who are commenting on social media, how sad they are. Uh, at his passing, uh, and how and the memories that people have of him, uh, the fond memories that people have of him, not just with uh, being the voice of the 500 and the Indianapolis 500, but as Mike pointed out, he also announced with uh, Benny Parsons and and Ken Squire, and uh, uh, it, it it is it's just a sad day for those people who finally remember Bob Jenkins as, a, as a Indianapolis's broadcast uh, journalist. And uh, it was a different era. And, and in some respects, I think people have a lot of respect for that particular era of broadcasting. And uh, it, it truly is indicative of that uh, through all of the people that are remembering him today. So, Mike, uh, you're up next with your thoughts. Yeah. It's unfortunate. I mean, we're, this is just the beginning, unfortunately. You know, time continues marching on. We lost Glenwood a few years ago, and it's going to be continuing where a lot of the pioneers who built the sport that we enjoy today, we're going to end up losing them here fairly soon. Uh, Ken Squire, he beat COVID last year, but it could have just as easily taken him. But he's also in his late 80s. Ned Jarrett as well. Richard Petty, a lot of those guys who built the sport mm-hmm. that we watch and enjoy today, they're not going to be around for a lot longer, so we need to appreciate them while we've still got them and, uh, and enjoy the time that we still have left with them. Jay. That was very well said, Mike. Amen. Uh, yeah. Appreciate them while they are here. Uh, very well said. Yeah, totally Not Red Farmer, though. Red, Red Farmer's <laughs> going to be around forever, and he's probably going to be racing after the apocalypse with Betty White watching from the stands. White is another person. I've 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 been thinking about her lately too. For some reason, how long she's been around? I remember Betty White from the fifties on TV, and it's just 
amazing that she's still she's still out there uh, doing her thing and doing it well. But yes, Mike, you said that very well. Uh, I hope people do take time uh, to understand and appreciate where we're coming from and uh, just learn to appreciate uh, those pioneers of our sport. So you get the final word again, Mike. Well, that's really all I've got. I mean, I, I can't really build on that too much. But, uh, yeah, uh, keep uh, keep enjoying the sport and enjoy the, uh, the the fruits of the labors of the people who came before. Okay. Uh, Jake? You're up next. Well, I guess I guess that brings me brings it back to me to bring up a controversial one. I don't know yet because nobody else put in their opinion <laughs> on it, but uh, the Verizon 200 at the Brickyard, now a road course, is it still a crown jewel and carry the same status as the former Brickyard 400? Okay, Mike, you get to be the first one to comment on that. All right, I'm going to go full controversial. I don't ever consider the Brickyard 400 to have been a crown jewel. I always felt like it was forced. I understand the prestige of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. I understand that the event was made to be a big deal. I understand that a lot of notable people have won the race, but I always felt like it just – it wasn't the same as like a Daytona 500, the Coke 600, or the Southern 500. It didn't have the history. It wasn't part of the building of the sport. It was, it was at best an indicative of the sport's rise through the modern era, but I don't really see it in the same light as those other crown jewels from the foundation of the sport. Um, so that, I guess that defaults my answer to, no, I don't believe that the Verizon 200 at the Brickyard uh, the what is now the Indianapolis Motor Speedway race this coming weekend is a crown jewel because I don't really see its predecessor as a crown jewel either, although I'm sure that's going to be a minority opinion. Okay. Mike, my question to you is, have you attended a race at Indianapolis? I have not, no. And I understand it's a spectacle, and I understand it's a great facility. Uh, I'm more thinking from just from the terms of, uh, of NASCAR itself, not so much the experience of being at the track itself. Well, let me just say, <laughs> the experience of walking into Indianapolis is something that is hard to explain until you've actually experienced it. There is an aura about that racetrack that when you are there and you see these huge, I mean, huge murals of all these drivers, not just from NASCAR, but from IndyCar uh, and and racing uh, that surrounds that track when you walk into that facility. There's just something, I, I don't know what the word is. It's not magical. It's not... Maybe it's mystical. I don't know. There's just something. It makes your your hair stand up uh, on end in a very. Uh, it's kind of like when you when they have the flyovers and you're you get all emotional. At least I do. I get all emotional about the flyover that happens with NASCAR. Um, it's, it's similar to that, but on a much bigger scale of walking into Indianapolis Motor Speedway. It, it, you go to Gasoline Alley. Uh, there's, I can't think of another track that's like Indianapolis that has that alleyway where you've got fans on both sides of the track when they come out of turn four and come down the straightaway 
uh, headed towards the first turn. Um, there's there's definitely a difference uh, in the experience when you go to Indianapolis Motor Speedway, and the drivers recognize that uh, when they race on that track. Now, I understand that they might not be as excited about racing on the road course, um, and and that's where the premise of this article is is kind of stemming from is the driver saying that they're going to miss driving the, it's not really an oval, it's more of a rectangle, uh, but, but the rectangle of uh, Indianapolis Motor Speedway. And it is huge. It is massive. That track has a, an 18-hole golf course in the middle of it. I mean, that's the other part of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway that people who have never been there understand until they go. Um, and it, it's um, and and I, I hear you say that you do understand, but I don't think you really do until you've been there. Uh, just how important Indianapolis Motor Speedway is uh, in the sport of racing, and and how monumental it was for NASCAR to go there. Uh, so I, I have a little bit different perspective because I have been there. Uh, I I know when Tony Stewart won the race there, I refused to leave. I was at the start finish line. I refused to leave until I saw Tony Stewart climb the fence. Um, and he's got his own special corner over in in turn two where all of his Indianapolis friends are sitting and we had to wait for Tony Stewart to do his burnouts over in turn two before he got to the back to the start finish line to climb the fence. But it was well worth waiting for. So yeah, I, I just don't think you really understand until you've been to that track. And and that's just my perspective. As far as uh does the road course take away from the prestige, I'm gonna say no. I'm going to say no. I understand that the drivers are not happy about running the road course, and I, I kind of get it because for some reason I think we've we've kind of had a knee-jerk reaction. Uh, people like the road courses. We call the road courses the new short track of of racing because we the drivers have become more proficient at road course racing, and so we've seen better racing in road courses. So NASCAR is kind of Going seven road course races happened this year, including Indianapolis Motor Speedway. But um, to me, it's not going to take away from the prestige of that racetrack. Um, it might to the drivers. Uh, I don't know. but And I understand their frustration with so many road courses uh, being thrown at them this season. Um, but I think it has more to do with that than it does the road – being the road course at Indianapolis. Um, and th- part of what makes it a crown jewel, too, is that it is unique from any other track that they race on throughout the year. No other track is a rectangle like Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Uh, there's not a lot of banking at that track. Uh, and and there's just so many things that make it unique to any other track that they race. And to me, that's why it is a crown jewel. So, Jay, I think I've said enough. It's your turn. I'm, I'm going to try this to lay this out. I'm going to disagree with Mike by agreeing with Sharon, but then I'm going to agree with Mike by disagreeing with Sharon <laughs> and try and explain all that. Uh, okay. Going back to 
Was it a crown jewel? Yes, it was. Uh, for the reason Sharon said, uh, it's Indianapolis. Having been there, I think, definitely brings a different perspective to it. Whether you felt it or not before, going there adds to it if you haven't uh, been there. Um, so, yes, I do think it was a crown jewel. I understand where Mike is saying it was forced, and that goes part goes back to the whole part of the generation of keep NASCAR in the southeast only on certain tracks. I'm not saying I agree with that mentality, but I understand it. It, it was crossing over into the into the indie side, but that is, as Sharon said, what part of what makes it such. And I just think to you can't say just because it's new and relatively new. It's been what I think '94 was the first year there. Um, mm-hmm. That that it can't be a crown jewel because it's not that old. Because that's saying Daytona 500 wasn't a crown jewel when you first started. And I think for bringing it to dirt track, they started racing indoors at the Dome in St. Louis uh, four years ago. That immediately became a crown jewel event. I don't know if they use the same term for it, but a major must-win event, must-attend, must-win event because it is so unique to be in that Dome. Same with the Chili Bowl. So with that, I understand understand that the thought of, well, it wasn't true NASCAR. We forced our way in there, but – there was a reason for it, just like we want to go into Nashville for a reason. It became a crown jewel. Now, I do not think it is anymore with the road course, and it has lost its prestige over the last few years because of the on-track performance. Yeah. Uh, the year, and I'm trying to think what year it was, and I know Sharon's heard me go through this Retired before. The only Apple? thing I can remember, I was there the year before. That's that's what I was there the year before <laughs> I that. I was at that. Uh, yeah. Uh, the only thing I can recall saying is it was dang hot. And maybe that's why I can't remember the year is because it was that hot and I've lost that part of my memory. I don't know. It was brutal. I know that they have worked with that, uh, trying to position that race of when and where for multiple different reasons. They they tried putting it as the, the final race prior to the cutoff uh, for the playoffs for the same reason. They did need to work on something to keep that prestige to it. Uh, I really think, and I don't know how this new generation car would have come out on the square track. I think they jumped the gun with that. These, I don't want to say self-made road courses, because I know that road course is already there for IndyCar, but the not a true, what was a true designed road course, especially for stock cars, of to try and manufacture that because that's the current fad. I, I don't like that. To me, it would have been, and Charlotte knows it, to me it would have been if they'd have done the Roval taking away the Coca-Cola 600. You weren't going to do that because it was a crown jewel. I don't think they should have done it at Indianapolis. Find a way to work with the cars, and that's where I say I don't know what the next gen would will do would do on the actual Indy, core or Indy track versus the road course. We didn't get that opportunity. Uh, I think that they were improving again after the tire debacle and a couple other things. The package, the horsepower package, that's one of the first ones where they tested that and ran that, and we saw the improvement in racing coming back to a good uh, on-track race, and I think they should have continued in that direction rather than going to the road course. So, yeah, I I do think that the the crown jewel title, even if it's at Indy on the road course, isn't there anymore. For me, the title of crown jewel, it's, it's something that you don't call yourself. 
You know, it, it, it's like saying that you're the greatest ever at something. You know, Jimmy Johnson doesn't walk around saying that he's the greatest stock car driver ever. And there's a lot of people who say he is. But Jimmy Johnson isn't one who does it. You don't bestow titles like that on yourself. And that's kind of how I felt like what they did with, with the Brickyard 400, where they just proclaimed this race to be a crown jewel, and it was what it was. Daytona, Darlington, and Charlotte, they were crown jewels because of what they were long before anyone started using that term or any equivalent to that term. They just were. And they were because for a couple things, history is a, a major factor in it, but also more often than not, the racing itself there is phenomenal. Unfortunately, the racing in Indianapolis over the past decade to decade and a half, it's felt almost like being dragged to your sister's cousin's wedding. And you, 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 you're obligated to go and you're going to pretend you're having a good time and you're going to pretend it's a big deal, but deep down you're not having a good time. And that's what it's been like watching races at Indy for the past decade or so, at least from my perspective and from the perspective of a lot of people I see on social media, it's the same opinion of, yeah, we're going to smile, we're going to nod, yeah, it's a crown jewel, yeah, 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 everyone's so happy to be there, but then we're just going to kind of endure the race because we're obligated to do it. And I think that's what drove the change to the road course. It became unignorable how bad the racing was at Indianapolis almost every single year. There's a couple exceptions. The 2017 race was fairly decent. There were a couple more here and there, but probably 60 to 80% of the races there were not something that if you were to bring a brand new fan into the sport who's never watched a race before, you wouldn't bring up the, uh, the, the Brickyard 400 as, hey, you've got to watch this race. This is the one that's going to get you hooked on our sport. That's not something that we would showcase because it wasn't really that great of racing. And I think that's what's, what necessitated the change. And I think that's another piece that was missing that really prevented the Brickyard 400 from earning the title of a crown jewel race. Okay. I, um, I think in some respects, I think you're feeding right into why um, it is a crown jewel <laughs> and why I, I don't think that the road course is going to take away from it being a crown jewel. Again, you're telling me that you've never been at the track, and I think it's clear from what you're saying that you've never been to the track, so you don't have that feeling of what I'm talking about, of walking into that track and, and what that feels like and how prestigious uh, it does feel when you go to Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Um, you're right. I was at that track. It was 2008. And where every 10 laps, these guys were on a pit stop because the tires were completely worn out after 10 laps uh, around the track. Uh, in some other tracks, 10 laps at uh, Indianapolis Motor Speedway is going to be 20 laps <laughs> at another track. But um, every 10 laps and, and stopping for a pit stop, it wasn't uh, a fun race to watch. Uh, but it didn't take away from the prestige of that track. It just doesn't. And I don't know how to explain that if you've never been to the track. It's just hard to explain that. I think that, yeah, NASCAR is trying to look for something that's going to work at that track, which is a very prestigious track uh, where A.J. Foyt, Al Unzer, and all these drivers have won races, Jeff Gordon, Kevin Harvick, you name it. These guys have all run races there. Um, and these guys are going to be legends uh, of racing. 
just like A.J. Foyt and Al Unser. Um, I think that the road course is an opportunity to bring the prestige back to Indianapolis Motor Speedway because the racing is going to be better on the road course versus the um, rectangle or whatever you want to call it. Uh, I think that here's the other thing that goes along with that car of tomorrow and the debacle of 2008 uh, when they were pit-stopping every 10 laps. That put a perspective uh, or a preconceived idea of what the racing was going to be at Indianapolis Motor Speedway for many, many, many years. And I've seen people watch that race and say, man, that was a really good race at Indianapolis today. And then other people who maybe have never been at the track, I don't know, but another group of people saying, oh, it was the worst racing I've ever seen. Okay, so some people can look at a race and see a really great race. Other people will look at it and see it as a horrible race. And honestly, I think that that the horrible race people who uh, have the preconceived idea of what kind of race they're going to see at that track, and especially after 2008 when they had that horrible, horrible incident with the tires. So... I'm just throwing it out there uh, that it that is a possibility, and that uh, I think that NASCAR is doing everything they can to make that track the to make that event uh, as prestigious as the track is by bringing them bringing in the road course. Do I think it's a knee jerk reaction? As I mentioned earlier, yes, I still think it's a knee jerk reaction by having so many road courses on the schedule this year. I love the road course racing, but they put a lot of road courses on the schedule, and where we maybe needed maybe four or five, we've got seven. So yeah, Jay, I'll let you go next. Yeah, you you hit on a couple of a couple of great points. Nobody denies that you got the year down there at 2008. That race was ugly. NASCAR would never deny that. A mistake was made. They adjusted from it and had to build back up. And, and that's where I say they should have continued on that trend when they came with the when they brought the Xfinity Series over from IRP to the Brickyard. Mm-hmm. And a couple of years later is then when they, they did the test with the different en- engine package, the horsepower, and it improved from there, and it was building. And that's why I hate to see them come away from that uh, with what, like you said, you call the knee-jerk reaction. Uh, is being at, I'm glad they did not take Indianapolis off the schedule altogether. I would prefer they continue to have built on improving the on-track on the oval, if we'll call it a square oval, whatever, versus going to the road course, but going to the road course is better than them going even to, say, Iowa Speedway. As much as I'd like to see Iowa Speedway, I'd hate to see Indy come off um, because it is. And to Mike's point, it wasn't just that NASCAR or one person or whatever deemed it as a crown jewel. Jeff Gordon wanted to win it. Dale Earnhardt Mm -hmm. wanted to win it. Dale Jarrett wanted Mm -hmm. to win it. You know, Juan Pablo Montoya wanted to win it. You know, for that reason, the drivers are what made it a crown jewel uh, and the desire to have that victory and, and go there. And just as Sharon said, even the drivers now, we're going to go road, bit, road the road course, but we miss running on the oval itself. 
And then I do need clarification from Mike. If it's your sister's cousin, isn't it your cousin too? <laughs> yeah, I thought I thought you were going to catch me on that one. Let's go with sister-in-law. How's that? So it's not okay, really okay. your cousin. So it's okay. best like cousin-in-law? <laughs> That's what I would call him. Okay, so I guess we've got the last word on that, and it's uh, time for us to maybe move on to our round round table. So, Mike, we'll start with you. Sure. Mike underscore Orzel on Twitter, Mike double underscore O on Reddit. Um, still got an article working through the, the wickets here. I'm not quite to Jay's Michael McDowell article in terms of lead time, so I've still got a little bit of headway here, <laughs> but uh, hopefully we can, we can get it polished up and ready for prime time here soon. Okay, Jay. Well, and that's going to have to still uh, – I'm looking at maybe with the, when they start the playoffs. I know we got three races left because that, that kind of ties into the season in the article. But uh, I am. it hasn't gone away. But I will tell you this. I think Thursday at 2 o'clock is when I'm supposed to be at the racetrack, and I'll be there till maybe all the way into Sunday. <laughs> so uh, this weekend's not going to be a, a whole lot of help with that. With that, you can follow me on Facebook, Michael Hoosman, MoparMJ8 on Twitter and Instagram. And I know Thursday I'm not going to be available at all with that, uh, as I will be at the track. It is the Street Stock Nationals at Why Not Motorsports Park, the House of Hook. And I believe we normally cover 15 or more states that we get race cars from, 300 between two classes. Excited about it, but I know I'm already dreading the long days. Okay, well, we've got Andy on standby for, well, Andy is on tap for uh, this Thursday, provided she doesn't have to work. I'll be working on a backup for Andy uh, for the remainder of this week. Uh, But uh, right now, Andy's uh, on the schedule for this Thursday night, as well as a date in uh, September. So we'll keep that in mind as well. So... um, I am Fan for Racing site on Twitter, Fan for Racing blog and radio everywhere else, including FanforRacing.com, where uh, we are posting the articles of which you guys have spoken of, along with an article from Tommy Kraft. So uh, we've got uh, Sam's recap up uh, from the weekend at uh, Watkins Glen. And uh, I, I don't know, I think Owen's still working on trying to get some power rankings over to us. So I'll keep watching for that. And uh, definitely looking forward to uh, talking with whoever is the co-host for this Thursday night as we preview Indianapolis Motor Speedway. So uh, a big shout-out to our listeners for tuning in. We appreciate each and every one of you, as well as to our fan for racing crew, South the Gala. Uh, Michael Huseman and Mike, uh, Michael Huseman, uh, Jay Huseman and Michael Orzel uh, for all that you do. We appreciate you guys, and uh, we always have fun here on Fanta Racing Radio. So uh, looking forward to Thursday night and doing it again. With that, I think we're ready to call it a wrap, guys. Can I, can I add it real one. quick here, Sharon? Yeah. Uh, the overall points, Mike leads 246 to 241. It's a five point uh-huh. on the overall. Oh, I shut it down. Uh, the other series got uh, – I can't pull them back up real quick. 
Sorry, I thought I had them up. Uh, they were still two and one points, and I'll send something out on Twitter, actually, as we start the Truck Series playoff point and hot topics. I'll still be chiming in by Thursday. I'll just have to do it. Somebody will have to in- imitate me, uh, Mike. I've had to cover you a couple times. You've got to be obnoxious like me for a change. Well, I'm, I'm okay, never sure my- obnoxiousness. I've got it here. Mike's at 233, Jay at 230, Sam's at 219. I'm four points behind at 215, and then Owen at 202, Tommy at 196, James at 182, and Andy at 181. In the truck series, uh, let me scroll over here, and I went too far. Uh, We have, let's see here, this is not in order. Uh, I am at 59 points. Andy is one point behind at 58. Then it is, let's see. Okay. Sharon? You got it? Remember I told you, yeah, I do have them. They're not updating to the site anymore. Remember I told you I couldn't link to the site for some reason. Oh, okay. Um, Okay. So so the truck series, (laughs) yeah, sorry about that. Like I said, I I haven't figured that out. Uh, the truck series, Sharon, you have good news, bad news. You have the lead by three points, but you're over three people tied at three points behind you. Andy, myself, and Mike are now all tied three points behind you. Uh, oh the Xfinity series, <laughs> Mike has a two-point lead over Andy and only a six-point lead over Sam. And then I know I posted the cup one, Sal. Uh, the cup one, Sam has the two-point lead over myself, and now Mike is only five points behind that. Wow, getting exciting <laughs> as we head into the playoffs. So uh, we'll keep you posted, and uh, thanks, Jay, for, for keeping track of that for us all season long. No problem. I wanted to get that out there because I wouldn't be able to on Thursday. <laughs> okay. Uh, and like you say, one of us will have to imitate you on Thursday. We'll see what we can do. Uh, maybe you have to send me that information. I, c- I can do that. I can do that. I'll make sure I get a, a updated copy sent directly to you. Okay. Thank you. I appreciate that. Okay. Yep. So with that, I think we're ready to call it a wrap here tonight. All right. Good night. Good night for real this time. See it. Good night.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.